basic instinct is a smashing psychological shocker. Not since Fatal Attraction has there been such an electrifying thriller. Somebody has to die. Freeze! Basic Instinct, rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. Nice tasty beverage, beverage you've got there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if we, like when we drank that really sounded like that all the time. It's fully effects. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's sitting in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> what are they? Do? <laughs> <laughs> We're drinking soup. <laughs> oh boy. Well, we're back. Welcome back. Something, 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 something. Welcome back. <laughs> it's a tired one. We got we to gotta get our energy back up. I know. We've crashed. We're getting too old for this shit. Yeah, yeah, I know. I thought we said that the last three episodes. <laughs> I know. That's because it's true. I was hyper. I was running around for about a half hour because I had a sugar fix, and then you're like, calm down. We need to record. Now I've just cracked. Yeah. Well, yeah. I warned you not to chug the, <laughs> the three liter. <laughs> Bottle of Jolt Cold <laughs> that early in the <laughs> evening. <laughs> like my teeth were stinging because <laughs> of the, the, the caffeine. <laughs> the sugar just eroded your teeth. Yeah, they're yellow and they have little spots. That's disgusting. No more enamel left. No more enamel. So here we are. We're back um, for another exciting episode of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers brought to you by Winston Lights. <laughs> The Smoking Man <laughs> Cigarette. Do you remember that? You're going to remember that, but they, it's funny if you go remember on YouTube. back in the day? Yeah, when you used to be able to have cartoons, advertise your, yeah. uh, you had Flintstones. Well, I always used to do that, you know. <laughs> hey, Fred. <laughs> Bonnie. Yeah. Hey, what are you smoking in, Fred? It's a Winston Lake, Bonnie. <laughs> I thought you liked Campbell's. Fuck that shit, Bonnie. cigarette should. Yeah. Uh, what is it? LF, MFT, Lucky Strikes. What is it? Lucky Strikes Tobacco Tastes Better or something. LS, MFT. Oh, well. No, Lucky Strikes means fine tobacco. So L-S-M-F-T. You just don't get those good jingles anymore. Remember the Mortino. The camel? Uh, I used to smoke camel lights, and there was everything was like, his snout is a genitalia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could see that black, you could see the <laughs> b- the uh, naked guy with the stick out yeah. on the, in the leg. And then you look at it, and you're like, I guess I could, I could see that. You know, and it's, you have a big old uh, billboard of a cigarette sign. Yeah. Fucking Joe Camel, man. Yeah, Joe Camel. God bless Joe Camel. Mo- Marble Man. Yeah, I, I mean, miss Joe Camel. <laughs> I, you know who I miss? I miss Spud McKenzie. Spud McKenzie, yeah. You know? Frankly, I just saw something and Spuds was on there. Maybe it was like a video from the 80s or something. On like, on like MTV, whatever whatever VH1 Classics is now. They changed it to like MTV something. Okay. And there's always like blocks of 80s videos or 90s videos. And there was something I was watching. I was like, hey, that's fucking Spuds McKenzie. It's like, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Sam Kennison popped up with, <laughs> with, with Spuds McKenzie. You're like, hey, that's a blast from the past. And he's like, ah, ah. Speaking of 80s and videos. Yes. Uh, I watched... You know, he's. I don't remember him being in a video, but we recently did Goonies yes. on the show, and we talked about uh, Cindy Lauper. Lauper. 
Yeah, and I'm Cindy Lauper. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's got that Mal- what is it My- Malaysia commercial where she's got the yeah but we had the we talked about the video how it had wrestlers in it yeah the Albano I watched the HBO documentary about Andre the Giant everyone's been watching that and it was fucking it was really good that's what I've heard I found it very moving yeah I've heard it's awesome highly recommended yeah yeah and w- this uh, as of this recording what's his face just passed away um, uh, b- 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 Bruno San Martino yeah so yeah wrestling's been in the news and everyone's been telling me that yeah the HBO doc on Andre's freaking awesome Awesome. Yeah, it was and it's really, sad. It was like really good. I'm always like the, the guy, some you know, a jaded film fan. Not yeah. as much as I used to be, but I'm always the one that's like, a documentary with a good with an interesting topic doesn't make it a good documentary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's not. I, I find I personally feel that very few documentaries are actually really good films. Yeah. The topic might be interesting, and that'll keep me interested, and will will get me through the whole film because I'm interested in, in the subject matter. But very few documentaries are, are actually made really well. And I felt that this one was made really well. And the Gary Shandling one, the Zen Diaries of Gary oh, Shandling okay. on HBO. Yeah. Two-parter. It was a bit long. but uh, If you're a Gary Shandling fan, you love that, though. But both really interesting and, and uh, well put together. It's, it's a hard line to cut because I sometimes find you know documentaries... If they lean one way or whatever, it's it's hard to just leave everything on the table and say let the viewer. Sometimes the story's that messed up or that interesting yeah, enough yeah. where the viewer can decide. But then sometimes when the person puts in their two cents, it can sometimes get annoying. Yeah, you but know. these were these were well done. Yeah, highly yeah. recommended. Yeah, um, I, I'm Dion Baya and I'm Jay Blake. And as as uh, Blake Dunn said, Mule <laughs> 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 Dunn broke down. Um. <laughs> There's a, a whole controversy back. about that. Now. Yeah, the uh, mule dumb broke down. The mule was matter with the mule dumb broke down because it's not because we've discovered that it might not be I the mean, lyrics. I don't want to shatter this for everybody that has been turned on to what's the matter with the mule dumb broke down. That it dumb broke down since we last talked about it, but we discovered that it might not actually be mule. Yeah, the lyrics might be what mill. Is, the the mule dumb broke down. What's, what's the matter, matter with, with the, the mill? mill? Dumb broke down, and it's just Muddy's southern cadence. We used to hear mule but instead of mill. Clearly, we're not the only ones because in the liner notes say in, <laughs> in research. You know, there are many a band, yeah, who did do that. That do it as what's the matter with the mule? If you turn the CD over, we have it says <laughs> like mule blues or whatever it is. You know, it's not mill blues, but so it might be mill. Mill, after uh, all, that what an egregious uh, sacrilege of history. <laughs> <laughs> it was like you know, it was like a movie when we were looking, going through copious notes. Well, we we had to go to PBS, and who's the black guy who does the uh, <laughs> the genetic stuff? And he he got the white gloves on, opened the book, and we're the with him. An- he's opening the book up, <laughs> the ancestry. Yeah, and he's like, uh, actually, it says it was a big mill <laughs> broke down. <laughs> and then you just had a table, and, and the, you're like, and we had like the 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 Zolly, jaw, the jaws Zolly shot. I'm like, what? Dun, dun, dun. Our entire, and then it, it turned into a. Usual suspects montage yeah. of us thinking back. <laughs> yeah, the scene how we should have known. How <laughs> <laughs> come the hints? How we know? <laughs> the scene started with us with the the Goodfellas Zolly, where we're at the table and the background changes, but we stay the same. So you know something's up. And then he he takes the book out, opens it up with the white glove. He white gloves it. Actually, the uh, correct answer is Mill Dunn broke down. What? Dun dun dun. 
But um, we're not talking about we're not muddy talking waters. About muddy waters. Muddy today. Mississippi waters. I mean, we could, but we're not going to. No, no McKinley Morgan. Instead, field. we're finally tackling a subgenre that of the sleepover movies that I've been. Blake has been pushing proposing. since day one. <laughs> Blake has been adamant about this since finally the beginning. in year four. Yeah, we are t- touching a topic that is integral to the Saturday to the sleepover, and. Um, it is a topic that I will admit that I was questionable about. Like, is it really something we should tackle? But then when you think about it, yeah, it is an essential part of the uh, sleepover experience. Well, not so much even sleepover experience, just the adolescent experience. Yeah, well, you know, for people that are a bit younger and for the ladies. <laughs> and the max. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to explain that uh, there was a time before the Internet. Don't go getting us in trouble now. And there was a time when, as a young adolescent male, mm-hmm. uh, we are hormonally uh, pre-juxtaposed to be obsessed with certain things. Yeah, yeah that and, age. And that outlet was very hard. The, that urge was very hard to... Uh, fulfill? Fulfill. That itch was hard to scratch. Yeah. At a certain time period when things weren't as readily available. Yeah. Uh, so to see we couldn't just google something to admire the human form specifically yeah. a female human form there were things like catalogs yeah or underwear ads <laughs> yes and National there Geographic. were movies yeah and we happened to be of the perfect age for a boom uh, that probably could not have existed without the video store, but like this mid ninety, this this late eighties, early to mid nineties boom of the erotic thriller. Yeah. Now, in a sense, this isn't really the first erotic thriller we covered. In a lot of ways, you could one could argue that Cruising is an erotic thriller. Yeah. And so it certainly didn't start, the erotic thriller certainly didn't start with like Fatal Attraction, uh, which came out in... 86, maybe? 87? 1987. Yeah. And that was really kind of the film that I think if we look back to, the one that kicked off the boom that then lasted into the mid-90s. Because then you had Basic Instinct, mm-hmm. uh, <coughs> Sliver. Yeah. You had things like Poison Ivy, with yeah. the, that you know might Lisa have been straight to video. Uh, well, she that was uh, Drew Barrymore. Okay, she but then then the you had the sequels with like Alyssa Milano's and you know, in uh, Poison Ivy two, and then. But you also had like Body of Evidence with Madonna came yep. out in Will uh, Defoe in like ninety three. Then in later after this, this <clears> movie <throat> we're talking about today came out in nineteen ninety four. But then Jade. Yep. And then Showgirls. Wild Things. And even though Showgirls doesn't really, I wouldn't call it an erotic thriller, it's certainly like piggybacked onto that. It's got a lot of eroticism in it. It's erotic, but there's not like this a thriller aspect. But it's made by Paul Verhoeven, who did Basic Instinct. Yeah. Uh, So it's definitely kind of all lumped into a certain thing. Now, if we look back, like historically, and I think this, the movie we're we're covering tonight, uh, a movie that I feel like gets a lot of crap especially in the podcasting world for being uh uh less than great yeah and uh, that's the color of night starring bruce willis yeah 
but I think it's you know it's it's actually <laughs> I think a perfect movie for us to talk about in this genre. Um, if we were going to do another one, like honestly, like obviously, I think the big one would have been like Basic Instinct. I think that was the one that like really. I feel I like when it hit its peak. I feel like a Fatal Attraction was like introducing the thought. Yeah. And then Basic Instinct like was like made it financially viable and was like the one the success of that movie is what launched officially launched like this this kind of boom of this type of movie that we're talking about. But what I like about one of the things I like about Color of Night is that it much more so than the other ones of that era kind of harkens back to the origins of the erotic thriller. Like, to me, this one's way more like the De Palma movies of, like, the late 70s, early 80s, or early 80s, like, Dressed to Kill. Yeah. I would say it's an erotic thriller, uh, Body Double, stuff like that. This is much more akin to that. It's also... And and those movies, especially something like uh, Dressed to Kill, is very much, obviously, De Palma... almost always very inspired by Hitchcock, but also very inspired by, like, the Euro trash, like, erotic, like the the Giallos and stuff. Or the Emmanuel, what's her name? Yeah, like Emmanuel, but, like, this is, like, Fulci's New York Ripper. Yeah, yeah, the elements of that here. is uh, Is very much an erotic thriller. I mean, Argento stuff is, to a certain extent, but, you know, erotic in... A less traditional sense, you know, like yes, there's nudity and there's a little bit of eroticism, but something like New York Rippers, I think, a perfect example where it's like that movie is about sex and like punishing people for sex, and like you know, it's going to like you know uh, sex shows in that movie. I mean, that movie's all about like the seventies sleaze aspect of sex and that's the is that the aka don't torture a duckling is that the no no that's a different movie okay but i can see why it's the quack the, the there's, guy there's called the Donald duck killer yeah he's <laughs> calling on quack, quack, i'm gonna kill you <laughs> and don't torture a duckling involves donald duck also fulci had an obsession with donald duck for some reason in fact the original title of don't torture a duckling the direct translation to my understanding is don't torture donald duck Oh, but they couldn't actually use that for because of copyright for right. America. <laughs> so yeah. it became "Don't Torture a Duckling." Um, Even into the seventies, you had the eroticism, which we've probably touched on in here. But then you hit like the late seventies, you had the remake of uh, "Postman's Rings" twice with Jack Nicholson. Sure, and what's yeah. her face, Jessica Lange, and that's yeah. really hot and heavy. You remember Nine and a Half Weeks" in the eighties, which was huge. Yeah, Mickey Rourke. Well, even something like "Angel Heart." Angel Heart, for instance, that where they supposedly really had sex on set and. Lisa Bonet, I think she might have got fired off of Cosby Show have, yeah. or even Different World. Yeah. Cosby was pissed because she's only like fifteen or sixteen at the time, and that even we talked about don't look, don't look now, or just don't look back. <laughs> don't look now is the is the uh, yeah, Donald Sutherland movie. The other one's the Bob Dylan. Yeah, I always electric. get confused. But the, title they, wise, they talked about that in what is that seventy two or seventy three that they have sex in that movie yeah. in real life. Well, I mean, then, really, you could argue that something like Peeping Tom in nineteen sixty is an erotic thriller in a certain yeah, way. Yeah. I mean, not in that like uh, you know, uh, there's no like sex scenes, yeah. but you could say you know, not knowing. Not having researched like back further, it's probably very much like the proto 
uh, erotic thriller. Yeah, because I mean, it's a lot about sex. I mean, he 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 photographs Peeping Tom. Yeah, Peeping yeah. Tom in 1960. The the main character photographs. He's a photographer and he photographs like pinups and yeah. stuff to be sold, you know, under the counter at like this newsstand and stuff. So there's. Look, sex is, you know... And even in that time, there's Otto Preminger's great movie uh, that I love, uh, Anatomy of a Murder, and that talks about the whole... It's a court case movie, but it's all about, like, a rape and Ben Gazzaro's on trial and Jimmy Stewart's defending him, but the whole premise is, like, the judge is like, we're gonna... The word panties is gonna be said a lot, and then, like, everyone's snickering. He's like, get yeah. it out. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. say panties a couple more times, but it's, you know, so it's like, yeah, even back yeah. then, you know, like, adults, you know, it was kind of like, oh... You know, yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's an, an uncomfortable odd, kind of a uh, you know it's it's an odd thing that uh, uh, some cultures are very uptight about sex, and yeah. obviously things have changed. Um, you know, the, the standards of decency or whatever in in media have changed greatly. Like now, you can have you know like for instance, I was watching. I've been watching. I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a show on Sci-Fi Channel called. The Magicians. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Harry Potter for an older audience, kind of. But they say fuck and like on, on sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, and it's and I feel like in earlier seasons that would stuff would be mute, like not beeped, but like muted. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Cut out, like you'd be like they cut out the word. So that you could say fuck now on cable i think you always could because it's technically it's a pay service yeah, but you just no one did it but nobody would do it and some people would do it but it'd be like maybe after 10 yeah the yeah. show might be on at 10 so i mean i remember so they justify it but even like nypd yeah, just, blue just say nypd blue a huge uproar where like you get to see someone's ass maybe. Ass. <laughs> was it him or, and then you see like well, a girl there would be women yeah they pushed like, the envelope in the early 90s and then i mean watching this and that movie, was network television yeah and watching this movie uh, tonight color of night it, it to me personally this seems rather tame now by today's standards which i don't know what that says about today's standards but um you know it seems like we have it's along with what we talk about the gore factor in movies and the level of being able to the uh, brutality or the just the the special effects level of of seeing blood and guts is uh kind of relaxed so as the erotic yeah what i find interesting uh, you know now that we're a little bit older and we lived through, I mean, I think everybody lives through an interesting time, but we live through like a very specific time, just like everybody does. But the, but like, you know, we're part of the, like the, the video store generation. And we were like, we were the ones that really saw the rise of like the internet, the analog to digital change, the analog to digital. There was a lot of things we were part, we were of this, of a certain age, during a lot of transition. Yeah. And like you said, growing up, I mean, not to emphasize this, but it was like, you know, you had no really outlet to see sex or nudity per se. So if you were a young boy, like you were alluding to before, you'd either have to try to like sneak a Playboy, which was like, you know, that was some crazy shit. <laughs> try to find some Mission nudity. Impossible shit right Yeah, there. you know, you'd have <laughs> to f- <laughs> try to find out where it is and all that, and you look and it's... Sneaking it into yeah. your house. Or if it's, you're looking at, you know, I don't know, your brothers, your fathers, whatever, whoever, if it was already in the house, and then, or you'd know like the sex scenes in the movies, you'd know like... There's a sex scene in, you know, Godfather Part 1 near the end of the first tape. <laughs> you know, you, you get to see yeah, the girl. Get, you know, you take you it wherever you can find it. Yeah, you know? you'd have to rewind that shit back to how you found it because you can't leave the 
scene oh, yeah. on the nudity. I mean, scene. even like you know, you know, and I think that's tame today because main, now because we'd, we'd have to look for straight, mainstream movies for the most part. So yeah, it's like the sex scene in Terminator, which yeah. I think we talked a little bit about when we did. Yeah, Terminator. Robocop. There's sex all over. You yeah, know. but like that was the thing. You know, even like fucking Ripley, like getting out of the pod. Oh yeah, you've seen her ass crack. Getting changed at the end yeah. of the movie, and now like, it's like nothing. Was very tantalizing yeah. as a young kid because like that was. I mean, Angel Heart was almost rated X. Uh, I remember Nine and a Half Weeks was such an uproar as was you know uh, last tango in paris these movies like you know you, you wouldn't watch them because it's so the sex is so lustful and then you know, I, I remember being like you know looking at the cable and you know what channel the playboy channel is and you try to oh sure f- yeah. you know figure out through the fuzz what the hell's going on and like i would have a friend that a neighbor we didn't have my mom didn't have cable but we had a neighbor that had cable and though they didn't get hbo they actually did it was just like slightly fuzzy you know, there was that like watch, trying to watch like the yeah, porn it would, channels because sometimes it would come in for a second. If frame, if it would, if it, if it didn't have a a shot, a cut shot, or like whatever, you know, like a, you sit there, it would kind of like get you'd almost see it, and then it would go blurry. And yeah, then it would come but around. here, like his HBO actually came in really good. Yeah, and him and his brother would do down and like set the VCR, like they'd sneak down, set the VCR to tape. And for instance, I had tapes of Cool Surfaces with Terry Hatcher and. What's the guy that's the Terminator T one thousand? Robert Patrick. Roger Patrick and Robert Patrick. Yeah, Ro- yeah. Robert Patrick and Terry Hatcher. That's the one she was. It was an erotic thriller. Yeah, kind yeah. Of. Oh, uh, the Remember the Shannon Tweed movies of the of the eight nineties? Oh yeah, how yeah. Huge those were, and then the other girl, the um, va- um, the girl that was comparable to Shannon Tweed that passed away, the Val- Valentine or of uh, begins with a V. She was huge too, but you'd see her a lot. And then also too, we talk about like USA Up All Night. Yeah. All those fairs, you'd either have like the girl who'd say USA Up All Night, or you have Gilbert Godfrey hosting on a Saturday. Yeah. And all the schlock they would play would be like, but it would be these skin flicks. Yeah, but you'd hope, but it was you'd see like, something. It was better than nothing. Yeah, I mean, when you got, you know, when you got nothing, I this mean, is for anything. me. Like I remember blown away. With the, with the Corys and Nicole Egger, not the Jeff Bridges, <laughs> not, the blown, not the Jeff Bridges, uh, Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones vehicle. But that was a big movie for me. I mean, it was a time when, like I said, it was being like a uh, tween male at that time. Like this is where you got, you know. To la- lack of a better term, you got your rocks off. Yeah, you know, and you know, you were also most of the times you were watching these with friends, so it wasn't like you were literally, you know, like masturbating or anything when you watched these movies. But like, you would go to a sleepover, and one of your friends would be like, "Oh, my parents rented Basic Instinct." Yeah, let's go watch it. <laughs> and you would go into the basement or wherever, and it would be a bunch of like thirteen-year-old guys or whatever boys watching this and not really knowing what to do with it but knowing that it's exciting knowing you suddenly needed some time alone you know and so everybody get lost it was a big thing and and like that's kind of why like i always kind of felt since we started doing this show that like at some point we have to discuss this genre yeah i'm pushing transformers the movie you're like listen I love Transformers the movie, but but the erotic, you know, <laughs> Basic Instinct was way more important as a, <laughs> in a young sleepover than Transformers was. And when we did, as uh, I'm playing with my GI Joes, <laughs> you know, there was one a uh, couple years ago. We were asked to record something for F. This movie was doing like a 24 hour 
48 hour fucking oh breast cancer awareness. yeah breast cancer awareness and so i mean we took a comical aspect of it of being like the impo- the importance of breasts in sleepover movies yeah because it really was for you know for us you know yeah. for for most of probably probably the bulk of our of our listeners <laughs> yeah, but it's also a, a very controversial topic because it could come very much off like you're being sexist or misogynistic yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. it's it's something where it's 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 a fine line to walk because it's to talk about it it almost sounds like you're <coughs> being you're what is it you're you're being uh, almost like dismissive of it all where it's like no but this was something that actually well it's an and but it's a, it's, it's an, yeah and, and it's you different know, now because <clears throat> with the access to at your fingertips of whatever yeah i mean you could watch actual pornography on your phone yeah by just looking it up as opposed to like we had a it was like ours was fucking indiana jones where, <laughs> where alan quartermain trying to find the freaking you know whatever you know, we're, we're looking around trying to find something, and then now it's just so that I think that is gone forever. Yeah. And I also think, in a lot of ways, because of that, the erotic thriller is gone. You know, mm, yeah, you, you, don't need you it. still get it, but there, you're right. There was a need for it. Yeah. yeah. Silk stockings. Remember, even TV shows yeah. had the, you know, even like that was half of what Baywatch was. Girls yeah. running around in bikinis. Yeah. That was so new. And they're one piece. Then I'm sorry, not even bikinis, just bathing suits. But like you know? you know, you always had the, the quote unquote Skinamax yeah. or the things that would get shown on Showtime, and those things still exist, and 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 probably you know might even still be produced. But what I find interesting about this time period, which is the time period when we were kind of coming of age, uh, is that it was mainstream in the early nineties. Yeah. yeah, like this was shit was mainstream. I mean, yeah. like. Um, well, it pushed the envelope so much in the 80s with those other movies like Last Tango in Paris and so that by Fatal Attraction, which I guess you could argue is almost a remake of Play Misty for me, that there's so much... I mean, that was hot. You had two big actors, Michael Douglas and... Uh, what's her face? You know, they're <laughs> Glenn go, Close. Glenn Close going at it. And, you know, it's like you're like, wow, they're really you know, yeah, going yeah. hard or Mickey Rourke having sex with Lisa Bonet. So then when the 90s hits, I guess it is... You keep pushing that envelope. Yeah, I mean, well, for instance, like Basic Instinct, the basic premise of Basic Instinct is really like a remake of Dario Argento's Tenebrae, whether yeah. it is consciously that, uh, but this idea. And also, like, for instance, a couple of years ago, they made that movie with John Cusack, that Poe, Edgar Allan Poe movie with John Cusack. The idea of that, like, someone writes murder books, and then there's a copycat person, and then the the author is either a suspect or brought into it. I mean, I'm sure Tenembury was probably not the first movie to do that. But that was it's like a common tale, but what they do is they add, you know, Sharon Stone naked, uncrossing her legs, and all of a sudden, like, the truth, uh, the fact of the matter, no matter, like, what your thoughts are about, like, sexuality or, uh, you know, whether it, or, or whether, like, these kinds of movies are exploiting women or whatever, the fact of the matter is that, like, sex sells. And the fact that Basic Instinct was so popular and it was always, and it, made so much money. I mean, sex sells. I mean, like, for instance, like, there's the Melies movies back in, you know, the yeah, silent yeah, movies, yeah, yeah. which have, like, <laughs> scantily clad for the era girls, like, loading that sh- the, the fucking spaceship into the cannon in the trip to the moon. Yeah, yeah, and shooting <laughs> into the cheese guy. Yeah, the I mean, that was, that was sex. Yeah. I mean, and that's so, like... Well, the two, the elderly couple kissing. Well, that was, yeah. you know, that was So, scandalous. in a way, like, sex has always been a part of cinema and art in general. And pre-code, you had, like, freaking Betty Boop. You see her garter belt, and it was all... I mean, there is... I, can, I can't remember the name of it, but pre-code, there's, like, a sh- there's like a Shirley Temple movie where it's almost like a Bugsy Malone kind of thing where all no, the... She's a, she's a yeah, prostitute. Yeah, remember, yeah, she's a prostitute. <laughs> 
to. And like the mayor comes, who's a kid, and he's like, "You're gonna have to go yeah. see Joe Blow and get, you know." And she's it, like, "Okay." And she's putting a garter belt on. Yeah, it's like, it is like a, that's why Hayes like, was like, "Whoa, whoa!" It's like it's li- literally like a gangster movie, yeah, but with kids. Like you said, it's like Bugs Malone. But like Shirley Temple, a like a kid Shirley. Yeah, Temple. we're talking like we're not, seven. Yeah, we're not talking about uh, you know like it, Bobby the, and the Bob <laughs> Bobby Soccer, the, whatever, you know. or the mo- movie. She, what's the movie she did with Cary Grant? Like that's Bobby and the Bobby Soccer. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We're not talking about like yeah, sixteen or seventeen year old. Yeah, we're talking about a little kid. Yeah. is a prostitute when she's going down the stairs with that guy. The tap I mean, dancing. granted, there are no adults in the movie. Like, yeah, she's it's a, a prostitute. That doesn't make it okay. But it's still fucking weird. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and it seems. And then with Basic Instinct, it kind of made, like, all of a sudden you're seeing, like, you know, we talked about cruising, and that was for Main Street audiences being exposed to homosexuality, and that could have been off-putting to some people just because of the subject matter, not that they, whatever their thoughts were on it, but this is treating it as normal. That's new to people. So then 10 years later, you have, like, just casual bisexuality where Sharon's just making out with some chick during a club, and you're like, holy... Because you you just don't see it. This is also the era of, like, you know, Ellen. Yeah. Like, coming out of the closet. Or there was a... There was a... A lesbian kiss on Roseanne. And yeah. That was big news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like it's really tough to understand that. Like, this is not that long ago. Yeah. But yet, like, things have changed so much. Yeah. And even in the eighties, you find out people like Anthony Perkins. You find out he's gay. You find out like you know Montgomery Rock Cliff, Hudson. Rock Hudson. Some of them are dying of HIV, and then it's just, so it's like all this. It's like no, this is a this is a normal part of life that some people you know. It's just it's really interesting to me. In that, to see how much things have changed and how, like you're saying, how we were just saying that, like, this kind of movie kind of died out because it's not needed anymore. But, like, the like having sex be so taboo uh, and having people be so. Desensitized? Well, well, well. Now desensitized, but at the time, pent up for lack of a better term. That's not the the word I would the words I want to use. But like that, this could be such a big deal. Yeah. That like seeing, you know, a movie like this, Color of Night, or yeah, basic Color instinct, Night, yeah. Basic Instinct, whatever Jade. And whatever. like I said, like watching Color of Night seems rather tame now. But yeah. back then, well, it was remember just... like Body of Evidence. It was the whole thing of like. Like Madonna dripping hot wax, yeah, or playing with herself, or even Dick Tracy. Seeing Madonna (laughs) and Dick Tracy was just—I mean, that was all conscious, and that gave—I'm sure I'm not the only boy at the time that was like aroused by seeing Madonna like lay across the table. (laughs) And aren't you going to come arrest me or get in my car and ride me? You know, it's like all this kind. And now it's—I think it's gone so the pendulum swung so much the other way, where kids coming up now are almost desensitized to it. Where they some I've heard situations with the psychiatrists and psychologists saying that some people young can't have regular relationships because they're so desensitized to the pornography that then when they try to have regular they're holding hands kissing it's not they don't there's no attraction because they're so used to yeah yeah, they're used to freaking hard hardcore you know but you know when we decided that okay we were finally going to tackle this topic on the show um, like I said, as Dion has kind of stated, you know, it was kind of like, it's been something that I've been wanting to talk about on the show for a long time. So and then I, and he was, every time he'd bring it up, my face would go red. I'd go, <laughs> 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 you 
you so, did kids. So Dion kind of left it up to me what movie we were going to cover. And so the thought process was like, okay, like we could do Basic Instinct. Like that's really the big one. That's like the granddad. I like how you had to go, you had to get back to me. You went and like dusted off the VHS. <laughs> and you're taking out like, should I do, you know, uh, Manuel? No, should I do? And, uh, you know, and, and a movie that I really love, and I feel like it's probably one of the last like real erotic thrillers is Wild Things, which was like 1998. Yeah. Uh, but I, lo- I just love that movie. I remember when we that movie came out, we were in film school, and I saw it over the summer, and we came back, and we had... Refreshment and sophomores. This was sophomores. Because you talked that freaking thing up. We, we had a soft, we were sophomore, and we had a first day of directing class. And so our teacher, uh, the great A. Dean Bell, yeah. director of... Backfire. Backfire. Yeah. <laughs> Classic spoof comedy. And the Doors, for- uh, he worked on the Doors Strange Days video. Yeah. And... Uh, to kind of introduced it was like it was like what was the what was your favorite movie of the summer yeah and everybody was picking what did you see it doesn't necessarily have to be like i don't to my recollection what really wasn't even like it had to be like a current movie like had you watched it for the first time over the summer which and they got to me and i was like wild things yeah <laughs> i just thought that movie was so much i mean i you know in a way i think i was already nostalgic you know it was it was like an erotic thriller, but it was also just like a lot of fun. And so there, there was this thought of us maybe doing that. And then I kind of had the idea, and Dion knows. On the that, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Of, of covering that on the <coughs> podcast. And maybe we will do it someday. Uh, maybe but, we will. And, but for this, you know, Dion knows, has, knows that I'm a fan of The Color of, of, not The Color of Night, of Color of Night yes. from 1994. And so the thought process of doing this movie now was like, I know it's been covered on other podcasts. This movie seems to get covered on a lot of podcasts because there are a lot of negative movie podcasts. Yeah. And this is a very easy movie to poke fun at. Now, see, you're getting into the territory that I'm from, unfamiliar with where this movie, I remember it coming out. I remember when uh, Basic Instinct is prior to this, isn't it? Like 93 or 92? Yeah, 92, I think. So I remember this. And this came out in 94. Yeah. And this to me at the time I don't know if I'm right or wrong but this almost was like the next step it's like it's not a copycat but it's like an answer to yeah. so I remember the big thing was oh you know Bruce Willis how erotic and then I came it came and went I saw it at the time haven't seen it since Yeah, I know a lot of people give a shit being like either a terrible or shitty movie but then now you're saying that it has some sort of afterlife in the podcast world because people or just people just like to make fun of it and people like to make fun of it, it or shock. or it gets like the it's so bad it's good yeah. but it, razzies uh, but and the stuff. yeah but the p- fact of the matter is like it's not t- at least from my perspective from what i've seen and cl- clearly like every movie has a fan base you know like no matter what anybody else thinks people love certain movies i genuinely like this movie so like i'm of the fan base of this movie that's like this movie deserves more respect than it gets kind yeah. of um though i recognize why it doesn't connect with a lot of people like i i get why it's funny to some people or why it's easy to poke fun at but because of like its popularity i feel like like you know like how this get made i did an episode on it and i know that like it's just it I know that people like to bust on it. So it came like, well, you know, what are we going to do? We could do basic instinct. That's a podcast? What, how this got made? Yeah. And yeah. what are they just, they it's just comedian, do shitty movies? It's comedians that. <laughs> it's like you talking to your dad. Like, so what is, what is this? <laughs> What's a podcast? Yeah, tell me what, a, you do a, you do the podcast? <laughs> 
What is it? You watch that? Is it like the Netflix? <laughs> uh, so, oh, and they just... It's on the internet? Yeah, is it on the internet? <laughs> do I have to call up to get that? <laughs> is it so? Is it all... They just do all shitty movies? It's, it's like... It's like well-known comics shitting on movies. It's like that VH I know people order. that listen to it will say, no, they don't shit on movies. But the fact of the matter is that they do poke fun at and and joke at movies expense it's like remember that when we were the, the early the early 2000s or late 90s when they had those like best of the 80s best of, it was just comedians sitting there like it's and then the, you got the rubik's cube not only that but it's those people oh like what's his face <laughs> like you would recognize yeah 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 <laughs> like the people that do how this get made are the same exact people that you're talking about and they just sit there and they're yeah okay yeah so and you know and, and i'm sure it changes There's a niche for that. i think they have a you know i stopped listening to it after i listened to their halloween three episode because uh, I just realized the show that show was not for me, but I recognize that that's polite. they're comedians and like that's that they that's do. their show. Yeah, you yeah. know, they, they're trying to make people laugh. Uh, and and to me, it seemed personally to me, it felt like sometimes a little, maybe a little bit too much at the movie's expense. You know what the harder thing is? You and I should do a show where we make people laugh, but we're doing it, and we're we're. we're we're praising the movie. <laughs> well, I think that's what we try to do. <laughs> oh, we're already that, doing I think that. We're already at least attempting that yeah. show. Whether people really laugh at us. Yeah, so it's like, yeah that's a, that's a open <laughs> open for for conjecture. But uh, this movie was uh, so this movie came to mind. It was like, do we do Basic Instinct because it's like the iconic one? Do we do Wild Things because of my personal uh, kind of love for that movie? But I think ultimately we decided like Color of Night is closer to that that boom. We were of age in 1994, and it was a movie that I genuinely like. And I also feel like there's probably more discuss, more to discuss with this movie. Uh, just you know, the things that I think maybe rub people the wrong way about this movie are maybe the things that I find interesting awesome. about this maybe yeah. not awesome but like interesting like i think this movie has like you know, the music is very specific sometimes you could argue kind of melodramatic maybe over the top there's a certain hyper reality of this movie that yeah. i think people can i don't want to say they don't get it but they don't connect with it yeah in a way it kind of takes you out of it i can understand that but i also feel that way about like the De Palma films that we were talking about, but I love. Just yeah, but those to kill. Are, those are a little more stylized. Like this, this seems to suffer a little color night of the era. Yeah, you know, because some of the the soundtrack sometimes it almost sounds cheap or cheesy, but yeah. it's not trying to be intentionally because that was the time. Yeah, you know, that's how soundtrack sounded. The background music was sure. The, with the but in my opinion, like for instance, something like Dress to Kill or Blowout. De Palma's style, and I could certainly argue that De Palma's doesn't have his own style <laughs> because he's so rooted in other people's cinema. But that's a style in of itself. That's a whole other discussion. And it's, I'm certainly not knocking it because I love Blowout and I love Dress to Kill and I like Obsession a lot. There's a certain period of De Palma movies that I actually enjoy very much. Uh, but those movies... There's a certain uh, mise-en-scene. Well, like, you know, like a, there's like a film of cheese. 
to his movies. Yeah. Uh, and it's not. But it's of a the bad era, thing. though, right? It's of the era, but it's also very specific to his movies. You know, like the split screens, the diopter, like focus, like the two things in focus. There's like a. There's a constant being made aware that it's a movie in De Palma's movies. And to me, it's very hard sometimes to actually let yourself go and get absorbed into like a De Palma movie of that period because there's so many things that he's doing technical, technically that are re- constantly reminding you like this is a movie. Like I said, like, you know, like the split diopter. Yeah, the split diopter where you see something in focus in the foreground and something in focus in the background. It's instantly like it pulls you to me, it pulls you out of the movie to be like, this is a movie. Look what I'm doing. Yeah. The way sometimes the music, especially in a movie like Obsession, which is so an homage to uh, Hitchcock, whereas I feel like Dress to Kill is very much obviously rooted in Hitchcock in the way that the the erotic thrillers in Europe of the 70s were also but his like just dress to kill is much more rooted in like giallo like an italian sensibility a european sensibility than hitchcock do you think hitchcock would if he was a little of the era a little more you think he would have got into the erotic thriller oh i think so i mean i think he's going that way uh like i think very consciously frenzy is a, is his stab at taking a giallo and doing a giallo. It's very much a, like a, an English giallo movie. Yeah. And I think he probably would have. I mean, even like his wife and like his daughter and like and scholars have always said that like the only thing that kept Hitchcock from going sleazier, gorier, more sexually charged was uh, censorship. You know, like the censors. Yeah. Like he would have gone that way, but he had to not, you know, so you come up with something like the shower scene from Psycho being like a million shots or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Because he couldn't just show it and he had to get across like what he wanted. Um, So, yeah, I very much I think Hitchcock Hitchcock doing like freaking basic instinct. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't think starring Cary Grant. You know, you get like Tippy Hedren, <laughs> Cary Grant, and maybe like uh, well, I don't know who else. Maybe could get throw Janet Leigh in. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's too far off. You know, like it's only because of time. It's only because of time. You yeah, know, of, uh, of error that that. But he didn't do something like that. Uh, but my point about uh, De Palma is like the way the music can be kind of a little bit uh, overpowering or melodramatic in some of his movies. It's a very specific feel. And I think Color of Night maybe not executed as uh, effectively or as successfully as De Palma did it 10 years before that or whatever, I think is much more in that vein uh, than, say, Basic Instinct is or the other movies of this boom. And so, like, I appreciate that about Color of Night. Now, when I first saw it, I wasn't thinking that, and I maybe hadn't even seen Dress to Kill yet. Uh, I just know when I saw it, and I probably didn't see it in 1994. It was probably a little bit after that. I just really liked it. I mean, I like by that point, I was a big Scott Bakula fan. 
uh, I was a huge like this movie's strengths for me lie in like the ensemble cast. Yeah, it's got actors that are inherently interesting to watch. Brad Dorff is like one of my favorite actors of all time. Yeah, and yeah, and immediately recognizable. <laughs> and so. Lance Henriksen yeah. is is you know a, a favorite of ours. Uh, you know, we are tribe. Yes. With Lance Henriksen. Yes. <laughs> um, that goes back to uh, Blake got me a book, which we could talk about a little later, called uh, 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 Oh Jesus! Because I, I looked, at, I read it for this. It's um, uh, not bad for a human, and he talks when Blake and there's a cast we did a, two years ago when Blake went to California, and Blake met him and he got the book signed to me, and he said that to Blake. He said that the actors are a tribe, and that's yeah. where that comes from. We are a tribe, uh, you know. So, uh, Lance Henriksen, you know, the guy who, um, let's see, what's his name? Uh, Kevin J. O'Connor, who's also part of this ensemble cast, was Swan in Lord of Illusion, which is a movie, by the time I saw this, I was a big fan of, which also has Scott Scott Bakula. Bakula. And, of course, uh, Leslie Ann Warren, who we talked about you know somewhat recently on the clue podcast yeah. it has like a great cast and i think um and bruce willis obviously you know it's very interesting to think that this movie came out the same year that pulp fiction did yeah you know so by the time he made this movie he had done like die hard he was a big star he had been in pulp the pulp fiction comes yep. out the same year so the fact that he took like this direction into like the erotic thriller I think was a really interesting choice and probably a huge reason why maybe this movie got made or at least why it got so much press when it came out. Um, also good in this movie, Ruben Blades, yeah. the cop. He's great in this. Uh, but I think we've brought up, I feel like we have done a Bruce Willis before, a movie of his. But I feel like we've talked about that I think one of his strengths is that he... We did Fifth Element. Maybe is then maybe that's what it was we talked about there where he's very versatile with what he takes. He'll do movies that aren't really commercial that don't seem like they'd be commercially successful yeah, yeah. for him. Like around this time, I think he did too. Uh, one of the movies I love, which is um, the, um uh, uh, what's the one where he's you know the uh, where they're drinking the potion, deadly uh, death becomes her. Oh yeah, yeah. That, and I think that's one of his funniest roles of all time in that mm-hmm. of him. And he he would do these quirky, you know, he'll cameo. So he does seem like he's very eclectic and and what he takes. Yeah. Where in the beginning of his career, he was doing like Hudson Hawk and stuff just to find footing. But even when he gets established, like you said, in the '90s with Die, after Die Hard Two, and, and when he's doing solid movies, he does Pulp Fiction. He does an erotic thriller. He does a comedy where they dress him up like as an old man. He does Bonfire, the ban- vanity. You know, so he's doing yeah. stuff that he doesn't need to do because he's already set himself as an action guy. He's doing Striking Distance, Last Boy sure. Scout. And you know, by then he also probably had success like voicing. Look who's talking. Yeah, yeah, and that was so that like, was a cash cow. Yeah, and those and that's uh, probably another choice where it's like, oh yeah, I'll do Look Who's Talking, and he that's like 1990, I think, the first Look Who's Talking, and he didn't need to do that, but he he's open to doing. They're huge successes, yeah. so he this yeah. is nothing for him to take a left step and try the erotic, you know, because he thinks, hey, you know what, Dem, you know, he he was married to Demi Moore at the time, which was very publicized. They were like a huge Hollywood couple. He's good looking, she's good looking, so. Yeah. You know, uh, they're both sex pots for various reasons. So, uh, you know, this wasn't that much of a step for him. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't for him, but I can see that 
from the perception the of subject like the matter. general public yeah. that this was probably a leap you know, yeah, like yeah. a leap of faith or like or risky yeah you know but like you said like and it's easier to see it i think in hindsight that yeah like he always he made interesting choices. Did they always work? That's up to debate, you know, yeah. like whether he was well cast or whatever, the, the movies work or, but he was always, and it's something that I think when we did fifth element, we talked about, like we had a lot of respect for him for it. Yeah. You know, that he, you know, it would be easy for him to rest on his laurels and just do a specific kind of film. And he did those films. He did the diehard films. He did like last boy scout, you know, but it's, it was always it, it, interesting and probably a wise choice for him to say, like, I'll do those movies and then I'll also give I'll do a Pulp, comedy Pulp I'll do, Fiction yeah. a shot or I'll do something like that. And so this North, movie, you know, yeah, and, but it's just but but he's not worried about one movie tanking his career. He's kind of like like when Pacino say he does cruising that flops, but he, then he, the next movie does a Scarface. It's like he, he knows he can just yeah. he can get right back up on that horse and ride that. But at the same time, this is coming off of, like we were saying, like a wave of this type of yeah. movie. So there was probably no reason to think that this movie would flop. Yeah. Which it did. Uh, Horribly so. But, yeah. you know, it's directed by uh, Richard Rush, who made a lot of movies uh, before this. Hasn't made a whole lot since, uh, but his probably his biggest claim to fame is the 1980 film, The Stuntman. Yeah, because that was, I mean, Peter watching O'Toole. that movie now, it's a tough watch, and it's hard to understand when you watch it now. I feel like it's hard to really understand like why it gets talked about, and it doesn't get talked about often. I'm sure there's a large chunk of this of people that listen to us that maybe have never heard of it because it kind of was one of those movies that kind of disappeared, you know, and then eventually I think Edgar Bay put out a DVD of it. And then there was like this, a little bit of a resurgence in terms of, um, notoriety for it. Like, like Oh, this movie yeah. exists. It's but didn't Peter, someone get It's got Peter it? O'Toole. I think you're right. I think he, it's about a guy that plays a stuntman. And I feel like he, it's been so long since I've seen it. I feel like when I read the book about the Vic Morrow thing on Twilight, we keep bringing this freaking thing. What's it called? This extraordinary conduct. I think it's called the yeah. book on it that they cite. Cause that's only a couple years before. I think somebody died doing the, stuntman, you know? Yeah. But it also had a lot of, had a lot of juice this movie it was nominated for like academy awards and stuff and it's such a i find that movie to be interesting in that it is such like a weird phenomenon in that clearly it made a certain mark on the history of like american cinema and was praised at the time but probably just due to distribution at the, or, or i should maybe put it the lack of distribution for so long was a movie that completely fell through the cracks for like people of our generation. Yeah. Until like I said, Anchor Bay put out like a double disc, like DVD at the at the at the like the heyday of like throw out your VHSs. Yeah. DVDs are the way of the future. Yeah. And look what we're giving you. We're giving you this, that, this, that. Yeah, yeah. Just three different versions of the movie. Blah yeah. blah blah. You know, I was like, oh, this movie. What is this? Like, and it was a time where like, at least I you know was probably much more of the. Uh, consumer of that kind of, of movies was like anchor bag fuck <clears throat> it I'll buy it like yeah. I, you know you're like that's a brand I can trust <laughs> it's like getting yourself a zenith <laughs> I know they're, they do good stuff 
<laughs> you know, so, uh, but that was really like the movie he was known, best known for. He did uh, Freebie and the Bean with uh, James Caan and Alan Arkin in 1974, and he did like a slew of, you know, exploitive comedies before that, uh, you know, it, it, exploitive in that, like, exploiting a certain genre and feel not necessarily like sexual or violent or anything but like a genre type thing but then he didn't really do anything after this except for like a documentary about stuntman <laughs> well he was fascinated about it with it and uh so i could see like oh it's you know this guy directed stuntman the stuntman which was kind of a big movie for the time like i said it had academy award nominations and i think he was direct he was at he was he might have even been nominated for best director for it uh and uh it was original story and and uh at least original script written by a guy named billy ray who i think today when we look back at his career uh it's probably most successful thing is that he was one of the writers in the first hunger games movies but this is back in 1994 so he's probably Obviously, like a little less known, but uh, so I, I feel like it was probably wasn't a huge leap for a guy like um, Bruce Willis to say like, okay, like the erotic thrillers are big right now. You're coming off of successes like Basic Instinct, and probably Sliver was probably a financial success. So it's like it's a it's an interesting genre that I haven't covered yet. This director is like a noteworthy and respected guy. He'd probably be good by a good guy for this. Um, He's comfortable with his body. Showing yeah. His body off. You know, and this was, you know, this was of the time where like the head of a penis in a movie was a big fucking deal. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it wasn't his, it's, yeah. it's, 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 he's, it's going to be, you know, and, and, uh, and apparently this is right around the time Harvey Keitel wrote in his contract that you get to see his frontal <laughs> in every movie. I need to cry, <laughs> and I need to uh, have. Well, uh, it was also the same around the same time that Ray Liotta was like, "I have to be able to yell at a girl named Karen." Karen, <laughs> Karen. we needed that money, Karen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, unlawful entry, which some might also argue is an erotic thriller uh, yeah Ray Liotta I have that on a double pack with Pacific Heights Michael Keaton that's a good double fucking feature you know what I might have four I think it's I don't know what the fourth one is but it's Pacific Heights uh, Unlawful Entry Copycat with Jodie Foster and what's his face which I remember being very good when I saw Harry Connick Jr. yes as the serial killer (laughs) I remember loving it when it came out and my dad likes that and I forget what the fourth movie is Nick of Time no, because that's not an erotic. Oh, okay. But it's a thriller. Yeah. yeah it's a thriller of that's the a thriller. <laughs> that's a thriller <laughs> where it's like, you got a day. <laughs> I'm going to. You got time. Oh, you got all the time in the world. Daughter. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, John. Uh, uh, John Depp. Johnny Depp. Whoa. <laughs> Hotel lobby. <laughs> You're going to stay in here all day. <laughs> You're going to talk to the guy, Rock, the shoe shine guy. He's going to give you some information. <laughs> You gotta go assassinate the president. <laughs> so it's specifically yeah. erotic. So, um, the uh, anyway, uh, I think that's I think that's we covered it. it. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> good night, everybody. Uh, and then, then also, uh, I think when 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 Willis gets aboard, he gets what cast approval. So he starts looking at, or, or maybe there's people already assembled, and he, you know, uh, there's certainly people who've been acting longer than him, like uh, Brad Dorf. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, am I saying Henriksen. that right? Henriksen. Well, Henriksen wasn't cast yet. 
Henriksen, the other guy who um, uh, who I just saw in a freaking movie uh, two nights ago, uh, Stephen uh, Railsback, was in a movie called Dangerous Games. Uh, this this little known horror movie that 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 it's still little known because I got it as a bootleg. But June Lockhart, all these really weird people have like a day. Yeah, you know, they worked on it in a day. But he's the bad guy in it. So it's uh, I looked him up afterward. I'm like, oh, I know that guy. And then like two days later, when we watched this, they say that he was interested in the role, but he had to audition, and Willis didn't like him. And I guess Lance Henriksen, he says in his book, he had to audition for the role. Yeah. And Willis was like, yeah, he's the he's the one for the for. Uh, I love Hen- Henriksen in this movie. Yeah. Um, I love the way he looks too. Well, he talks about in his book. I guess since we're here, he says that they asked him his ideas about stuff, and I guess the director, um, what's his face, was, um, was would pass objects around and say, "How would your character do do with this? What would your character do with this?" And Henrik Henriksen says that his character is unique in the movie, where he almost, I guess, he feels like he came up with the idea that his character is frozen in time after the death of his daughter, yeah, yeah. and he was the one who said, like, I wouldn't do anything with this object because it means nothing to me, but he, his idea was how he dresses, how he looks, and it was his idea, like, he's like, since my character's frozen in time, I would even think that my character would have the car on the lawn with the gunshot and the police, and they do all that, you know, yeah, that yeah. was all Hendrickson's input of, and he says he's almost, his character's almost like not even in the same movie as these characters. Yeah, yeah. It's doing something completely different as where all these other ones are kind of on, he's on the purview, but they're all kind of essentially based to the erotic plot. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, in, you know, and we love, we talk about, you know, Hendrickson's amazing, and you got the honor to meet him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, my picture with him. Yeah. He was, he was really nice. Um, Did you smoke a cigarette with him? <laughs> no, I didn't smoke a cigarette. It he, seems like he, he just, just light up in front of you and just start talking <laughs> to you. You got a cigarette. No. He looks like a, he's a cool smoker. Yeah, he, he's mean, smoking Marble Reds, it looks like. I mean, it seems like, you know, can't really say that these days, but he looks a cool smoker. Yeah, he looks like the Marble He, he looks like a, you know, a veteran of, yeah. the, of, of, of smoking. Yeah. Very natural. A connoisseur yeah. of, the, of the cigarette. Uh, uh, but he's great. Yeah, he's he's absolutely. I think the strength of this movie. See, my experience with this movie is, you know, it was huge when Basic Instinct was coming out. There was a big hoopla. It was very controversial. Will it get released? How much are you going to see? You know, Entertainment Tonight, like news. Sure, yeah, Six yeah. o'clock news is talking about it, and then they're showing scenes. And then uh, I didn't see Basic Instinct in the theater, but I got a copy of the home video. Watch that. It's it's basically was like X-rated at the time. Uh, and then this movie came out, and I remember this was kind of like running on the coattails of that, and it was going to be, and then I, all I really remember when it was coming out was they would show just like the blurry sex scene of them in the shower. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that was, and so when this came out, I guess when it came on video, I saw it. I remember liking it when I saw it, and it was, and I haven't seen it since. Yeah. I remember the plot very well, but then it's great because since I hadn't seen it since, I was completely going the wrong way with where this was going to go. And the right turn at the end, I was like, "Oh, it's completely, it's completely <laughs> unique to me because I, uh, I, I forgot didn't, about it. Yeah, I didn't see. I thought it was going. Well, yeah, well, you know. okay. Look, I'm interested to, you know, to talk to you about like your perspective of watching it now because like you said you hadn't seen it since you know the ninety five. You know, and I, and this is, I think the strength are is, is the you need a solid. You know, like summer stock ensemble cast. Like this could be almost a. You could put a production of this on. You know, yeah, and have yeah, it be like be a, you know the ther- you like have like two Broadway. sets. Yeah, you have like the therapy, this the therapist. At his house. Yeah, it yeah. is how. Yeah, everyone comes over his house. Although, see, it's really, it's it's 
it's interesting the topics that are dealing with this because nowadays it's much more with people, you know, talking about uh, psychiatric, you know, therapists, behavioralists, psychologists. So, and it's it's interesting. I don't know well enough that for from a from a medical standpoint, if you put all these people in a room and yeah, then you let yeah. them just fuck with each other, you think that, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like yeah, you could yeah. see Nurse I mean, Ratchet doing that. A little yeah, bit of but you need. You need it, you know. These this movie gets made by the by the by the cast, and almost. I mean, I wouldn't say any of them are overacting, except Ruben Blades, who I think does a great role because he's so over the top. It yeah, becomes. Yeah. He reminds me of almost Danny Aiello from um, Harlem Nights, but it's like he's so over the top. It's like okay, I can accept this, and everybody in the movie kind of has something wrong with them. Sure, you yeah. know, there's something. Well, you know, there's, in there's a, a nutshell, and first of all, if you haven't seen this movie, I think at this point, and if you don't want things ruined for you. Like this would be a good time to stop listening to us. Yeah, talk. come back afterward <laughs> and maybe check it out. Yeah, you might like it, you might not. I feel like this movie's probably not a little everybody. polarizing. You know, there's probably you're either gonna like it or you're not. Um, and there is like a big twist. Whether you, it's you could argue that it's you know they forecast it pretty unintentionally. Yeah, cast see, that pretty early that, on, and then when, when you're done with, it, I later on in the cast, I got to ask you your opinion about that. But yeah, so but uh, so you know, now that we're going to get into like the nitty gritty of the movie, as you as you do to me, Blake, in three sentences, sum up to me what the plot of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the interesting thing, you know, the the plot of this movie in a nutshell is Bruce Willis. Movie opens. Bruce Willis is a psychologist. Yes, not a psychiatrist. But he has a patient who kills herself. Now, the difference for people who don't know is if you're a psychologist or a therapist is you cannot prescribe drugs. Yeah. A psychiatrist, psychiatrist can is, a, is, a, is a doctor. Yeah, he a can prescribe her. You know, and he... Meds to you. During, you know, we find out through the, op- through the credit sequence that this patient is having issues. Yeah. And it's a very, it's a, the, the opening sequence before you meet Bruce Willis over the credits, it's a very interesting and it's a very... It's it's a hard opening sequence for the point where it can either it's gonna you're gonna laugh at it and it's gonna be silly and I can see why a lot of people or on the other side of it it's actually quite like almost frightening and sad and like yeah, you know yeah. if you don't laugh at it because people actually have you know this is actually sure. believe it or not you know so it's yeah. like so it's it's hard to keep that straight without it becoming mockery or, or uh, and I think in the era of today as opposed to when it came out is that like. Like you were kind of saying, I think most we're much more uh, in uh, in tune with the idea of therapy. You know, I think you know a lot of people are in it to some certain extent, or you know, we have. I think in the mid '90s, clearly there was. I mean, we're talking about psychiatry and psychology. You know, like going all the way back, the explanation at the end of Psycho. Yeah. You know, like. Freudian, you know, well, if, <laughs> you know, but, but also yeah. like in terms of like in the nineties, you know, I think there was, so it's almost going into like the late seventies when we talk about you and I, not on the gas, but like talk about where the, uh, plot or the uh, themes in, in invasion of the body snatchers about the self-help. Sure. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And then like yoga and in the eighties about your body. Well, and then it becomes not so much a taboo where. You know, in the 50s, you always hear about the housewives who were, like, self-medicating to, you know, they're to, to keep themselves happy or whatever because of their mundane lives, quote-unquote. Yeah. So in the 80s and 90s, that becomes more of a mainstream idea where it's okay to see somebody, a shrink. Sure, yeah. You know, or that. But I think also it, much more than today in the 90s and when this movie comes out, 
people are familiar with it. They understand it. It's more accepted probably than it used to be, but it's also a little bit, uh, still a mystery probably to a lot of people, you know, they don't really, you know, as today it's like, you know, people are getting, you know, people are like are being diagnosed more with things like bipolar disorder and stuff like that. Some people say they're over over diagnosing, over medicating, you know, but I think back then it was like, we were aware of it as a, as an audience, a general audience aware of it, kind of got it, understood it. It was kind of accepted, but it was still, it's almost a generational thing because like people are parents age. A lot of them would be like, I'm not going to go talk to people about my problems. So it's like, you know, so like, it's hard to see, you know, so, yeah. yeah, you're right. You're saying it's still, it's almost taboo-ish. That, yeah, even that, you know, not, yeah, taboo, you know, in a way that, uh, not in like a bad way, no. but in that it's just like, people don't fully people understand don't, what People don't fully get like, it. They, they get, get shock therapy? They get like the Hollywood version yeah, of yeah. it and they understand it, but it's still a little bit of a mystery and in, and in being a mystery is maybe a little sexy to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the, the idea of like... And it certainly was satirized too like in the 60s and 70s. You know, yeah. got put, go on the couch and somebody's telling you your problems, you know, like I feel like Blake Edwards movies, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, so Bruce Willis, uh, after the credit sequence, is in a therapy session with this woman that we see is disturbed and she kills herself. Yeah. Beautiful sequence at the opening of the movie, right in Midtown on 42nd Street. Yeah, like, right. And it looks like they really did it since it's the early night. I mean, they, back in the days when they'd really throw, they'd throw yeah, throw an extra out the window. <laughs> but she jumps out a window, and it's and they're over Forty Second Street by the Grand Central, and uh, it's I say it's beautiful because you see someone jump out the window, and then there's a couple shots. They must have shot it on a Sunday where you could see the they. they it looks like they dropped the bot. It doesn't yeah, look like a dummy. S- something comes out. Yeah, and it's I mean, and then they have like, the, like a CGI sequence. Yeah, and they have like that. You could see the body like on the reflection of the buildings. It's really cool how they did. Yeah. It, you know? The funny thing is watching it this time. You know, and obviously she fall. You know, she lands in the middle of yeah. Midtown Manhattan on the street, and it's an interesting, uh, ex- interestingly executed sequence. Uh, but because of this, Bruce Willis is so traumatized. You know, with guilt and uh, and you know everything else that goes along with this. And he looks out the window and he sees it, and suddenly because like, he's hard on the person, he gives her like yeah, yeah. In his mind, he's he's giving her some tough love <laughs> as yeah. a therapist. Uh, her her blood changes color and disappears. Like the color red disappears. So he has this disorder where he doesn't see the color red, which goes all, gray. All in all, doesn't really play that much <laughs> into the context no, of the movie. No, but when it does, it's but very it's interesting. Yeah, it, know, but it's an aspect of the movie that I like because it's kind of weird, but it's understandable. You get it, blah, blah, blah. The funny thing- And that's is, very Hitchcock almost too. The, th- the funny thing that I see, well, there's a lot of Hitchcockian you know I mean? things in this movie, but one of the funny thing about this uh, is that like there was so much blood, but there really wasn't, considering that she fell 40 stories or however much it was. Like she's just kind of like surrounded was, yeah. by like a small puddle of blood. So like he's like, and it was so red, and there was so much blood. I was like, there really wasn't that much. Blood. He must have been just so traumatized. I, I understand <laughs> that you could still be traumatized, yeah. but I liked how everybody got out too. Like there's there's a there's like a cop on a horse. It's like oh Jesus, and the people are getting out like like, like it's a normal thing. Like can you move her? We gotta keep going. Like the taxi cab drivers. We know, welcome to New York. Welcome, you know, it's funny. Get her out of the street. So immediately, yeah, he's so traumatized. So he looks out the that, window. So that sets up like. Like we have a psychiatrist who clearly his goal, uh, probably personally and definitely, obviously, uh, 
you know, professionally is to help people. But he's going through a bit of crisis. He leaves you know, his back like, to practice. He decides he's he's going to stop. He can't practice right now. He's obviously uh, riddled with guilt. He decides that he's going to go to the West Coast and visit an old colleague and friend. Dr. Sam Beckett. <laughs> this was uh, right around the time that he was about to invent the Quantum Leap Project. Yeah, out in the desert. <laughs> he was about to step on the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanish forever. Uh, and he woke up in a time that wasn't his own. And... Uh, but he goes who is a therapist who wrote a book that was successful about, uh, you know, clue, you never explain what exactly the book is about. It's probably but a it's self-help se- But it seems like it's like a self-help book, and so he probably has some notoriety and fame because of it. And it looks very real, because when he picks the book up, it's like, what's what's it called? Like, what direction, which, yeah, whatever. Way, it's like, to, way to Which go. way to go or something. It was like, in his arrows, it's like, oh, that looks like the real... <laughs> like, yeah. And he's got the picture of yeah. Scott Bakula on the back. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like author. next to Dr. Spock's book. It's like, oh, that's my... So he he goes to California to meet uh, his friend, who's a therapist, and uh, they went to college together. They went to college, and then they were also interns after blah 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 doing their residency or whatever. And uh, he meets him at his office just as he's about to have this group session uh, with these with these people that we were mentioned earlier, the character actors that are so great in this movie. And then uh, Leslie Ann Warren, Leslie Ann um, Warren, Brad Dourif, Lance Henriksen, uh, Kevin O'Connor, and uh, this mystery person named Richie. Yeah, Richie. <laughs> Richie with a with yeah. We find out because of the fame or whatever that uh, you know he might that that uh, Scott Bakula might have a stalker or is getting kind of death threats, and then is murdered, and Bruce Willis is thrown into this crazy plot. Now, unlike a Giallo movie, Bruce Willis is very passive in all of it. And in a typical, like, Dario Argento-style Giallo movie, the, he take it upon the himself character to start. Is witnesses or something happens, somebody dies, and then you're right, like, they take it upon yeah. They feel like they need to solve the crime. Yeah, but this is more, uh, it's almost like a Hitchcock. It always, almost is like a North by Northwest where yeah. he's a normal vicariously guy thrown, in, yeah. thrown and he into, has like, to, circumstances. And he has to, like, he's not trying to clear and his own he's trying name. to stay out of it, but keeps on, through circumstances, being pushed further into the plot. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, which is interesting because, like, he wants, he he's, feels like he's kind of, made to take over the group session you know as their therapist which he's not quite ready for he doesn't want to do it but he feels like he's kind of almost guilted into it the therapy the the group wants him to do it because he was friends with their therapist he was there for that session they know him at the same time you have a cop that is like don't you want your friend <laughs> murdered against Saul like he's, he's very passive he doesn't want to be part of it which is I think an interesting kind of plot device like you're kind of saying like he's just with resistance almost is being further pulled into into this crazy world and this crazy mystery and so in a nutshell that's kind of what the movie is about it's longer than three sentences yeah but (laughs) how can you i'm not as good at it as you are oh i'm not i'm not very good (laughs) i can't stop talking and then you know he meets a girl, sex ensues. Yeah. Um, now I'm very curious, you know, like uh, not having seen it for so long, um, and not necessarily being a fan of this movie in the way that I am. You know, 
uh, aside from feeling that the strength lies in the ensemble cast, it's a pretty stylized movie. You know, I think some of that style comes from being dated, but also, you know, it's got that hyper realistic. Yeah, but I think that has that thing that kind of work that works for it. But yeah, so I'm curious, like, what did you think about it? Because yeah. it's I think I'm jaded, I feel though. like it's not because I'm, I think the movie that one would remember it being is not what it is. Is very different from what it actually is. But I I think I'm jaded because I like everything. You know me. I'm much I'm not <laughs> much of a critic as you are. So I can find yeah, yeah. a performance that I like in a movie. So like. There's elements of stuff, so... But, you know, I, you know, whether you like it or not, I'm interested to, like, how did you, you know, like, the overall it, well, it became, feel of it, this it, movie it became is, like is specific, a, you know? It became like a, like, a, like a giallo thriller. I mean, even to the point where you had the... He gets the phone call in the, on the mobile phone, and someone's talking to him, and then it's very much... It's like very... Cre- like a Black Christmas type. Yeah, it's very like... <laughs> you know, like or or, or like, New York Ripper. Yeah, New York Ripper, um, yeah. The the uh, what's his face movie that we talked about? Um, uh, what's his name? Fulci. Yeah, Fulci, New York Ripper. Um, I okay. Spoiler alert. Now I want to know for audiences. Is it was it a huge is it a huge reveal who Richie is? Yeah. Do you remember? Like, do you have any insight into this? No, like, this is, is it- it's funny because I think maybe possibly. Because uh, I don't. One of the reasons that I like this movie so much is that for some reason, whatever the reason is, I was compl- when I first saw this movie, I was completely pulled into it. Like, and you didn't see that it was Richie. Yeah. So that's so. I, know, is I that, think in hindsight, it's like, oh, like how was I so? But is it, is it your naivete because of your age or because no. of the audiences back then? It was, like I said, I honestly probably saw this movie, we probably knew each other when I first saw this movie. Okay. So I was an adult. And this was also a time, you know, today it's even worse, but this is a time where, like, I literally looked at a movie poster for, like, a Long Came a Spider. I was like, looked at the poster on the cast, I was like, oh, that's the killer. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I went to see The Village. And <laughs> like Shyamalan movie, I was like, "This is." I turned to, <laughs> within like three minutes of the movie. I turned to somebody we went to college. Was like, "Oh, this is fucking." Well, you this, and I, this is it. So like, I was totally in that. Remember when I, we went to see the Bone Collector? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were like, "That's the killer idea oh, because yeah. there's no reason to cast him <laughs> in that role. He's the janitor." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's a great character. So, actor. Like, it was a time where like I was uh, very quick to say like. It wouldn't ruin the movies for me that I saw, but I was saw things coming a mile away. Yeah. But for some reason with this movie and the character of Richie, I probably was like, must have been like, this is a, it's a wig and it's makeup, blah, blah, blah. But never, you know, it's almost embarrassing to say, in my first viewing, never putting them because dots together. they even, doesn't Scott Bakula say in the introduction around the table that, uh, Richie has gender issues. Yeah, so she's tra- that it's it the very well much implies transgender, which is much more familiar nowadays. And, and nowadays, yeah, but but then after that, you take that line out, it's never said again. Everybody, you know, when when it, Richie's brother Dale somebody comes, it's said, like somebody uses the term transgender, whether it's Bruce Willis or what's her later face? in Leslie Warren. 
talking about Richie. Like, I feel like that's a red herring. They shouldn't say that because they should just make it more like it. It's, it's, it's a boy who's upset because, you know... It's 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 he's always referred to as a boy. Oh, he's a, he was a young boy. He's a, he's a, you know there's, there's yeah, how yeah. many males in the class? There's four males, one female in the group. You know, <laughs> so so then you have uh, after uh, after Scott Bakula dies, Bruce Willis starts living well in his house. But it could have been. I understand what you're saying, but the intention could have been to, to explain, explain away the, why this male seems. Kind of feminine, fe- fem- you I know, see. feminine okay. or unfeminine, or yeah. maybe in a way gender nondescript. Because the actress in it, Jane March, who plays the female and who do- who's the opposite in the movie, and there's a lot of the nudity. She has a very particular look, yeah. like especially her mouth and her teeth. She's got, she's got, yeah. She's so got. she, to me, she's very. It's very clear to. It, it might not have been the first casting if I was the casting director in this because. To me, she's very noticeable when she's because you could see by the mouth it almost gives it away. Where the yeah. glasses and the eyes throw me off, like they almost yeah, make it yeah. look like. So, um, after Bacula's killed, Bruce Willis, who's been staying at his house, just keeps staying at the house, and he takes over, and they have a security system. So yeah. then one day he's rear-ended driving Scott Bacula's car, and I then think this girl there is shows like up. there's a certain amount of, and I think it's probably what a jaded audience, especially of today, would have trouble connecting with this movie. So there is a lot of suspending disbelief this guy comes in and basically takes over scott bacula's life he's living in scott bacula's house now he's living he's driving scott bacula's car he's taking over scott bacula's job i'm surprised that what's his face the uh martinez the cop uh reuben blaze's character ain't looking at him as the murderer he you know he kind of insinuates it and kind of busts his chops a bit of like you sure you're not doing a duty (laughs) yeah of being like you're going to take over his you know, he kind of does bust his chops about like you're gonna basically profit off of this. Yeah. But the fact that there's like no, you know, next of kin discussion. <laughs> What's gonna happen to the house? And the yeah. Clothes like, and he just kind of moves. He kind of just moves right in and takes starts over. paying the utility bills. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like it's also like we don't know really as a viewer what the period of time. I mean, this could have been like two weeks, but. I can see like that being being a point that a viewer, especially a viewer today, could be like, "This is ridiculous," and that like, uh, you know, like this would never happen. Like this could never happen. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, it's it, it's very it's it's interesting. So as the plot progresses, you have uh, Bruce Willis meets this girl who rear-ends her. There's a little uh, back and forth. Uh, and then slowly but surely, she starts coming over. They start um, having intercourse pretty soon, and then pretty um, shu- soon after, very short courtship. <laughs> very short courtship, and then all of a sudden, but she's also a mystery. Yeah. She won't give her num- his number. Well, he she- also says that at the beginning. She's like, "Don't you want my stuff?" And he's oh, like, yeah. "No." You could lie to me. You could lie to me. And he walks away. So he's trying to play hard to get. But well, there's a lot of insinuation in this movie about, in a way, foreshadowing of like. Um, at some point, they say something about, in terms of therapy, I forget what the line is, but it's something about, like, uh, it's a game of, like, deceit and stuff. There's a lot of, they kind of lay this work of deceit, lying, things aren't necessarily what they seem. Not over the top, but there's a little, a... F- there's clips, there's little tastes, like, like you could lie to me. Yeah. She is light. <laughs> it, 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 to me, it has a little of the M. Butterfly story, Madam Butterfly, which is the, you know, the... 
guy going to Asia, and then you have a, a Caucasian, he meets a, a woman, and he falls in love with the woman, and then, spoiler alert, by the end of it, he finds out the woman's a man. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the... So, and it has a bit of this... Crying game. Cry, yeah, crying game, which, which was 1993, <laughs> which, which won a bunch of Oscars. Time, yeah. You know, where it's like, uh, you know, in some ways, the realization is, is, a, is in some ways is very much like a European answer to these kinds of movies. Yeah. So you have that going for it now where that's kind of it was in the the, what, the zeitgeist at the time almost. The, yeah. You yeah. know, um, so then Willis starts for one reason or the other trying to find out what happened to his uh, his his best friend and, and doctor part because then the because then he kind of alludes the Bacula before he's killed, like you said, he's, 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 well, he's being stalked, but he also says, I'm seeing somebody. It's great because he just divorced his wife, uh, and she's young and she's hot. And then you start to realize that group, everybody starts talking about that. They're seeing somebody, you know, uh, everybody has like Leslie and Warren, Leslie and Warren's like a kleptomaniac. Who's also like a, uh, sex addict. Sex um, the other guy, what's his face is a rich kid. Uh, yeah, who's an art yeah. uh, artist? He's very cynical. The guy who plays Swan. I'm just gonna call him Swan. Yeah, he's in a he's a great <laughs> actor. He's in a bunch yeah. He's of in great a movies. lot of stuff, but he'll always be yeah. Swan to me. Uh, then you have uh, Brad. I already say Dorf. Dorf. Yeah, Dorf. I think it's. I think my per- Dorf. 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 I always called him Brad Dorf, but that was only because a friend of ours from college called him that. But I think it's Brad Dorf. But he's yeah. got like an obsessive compulsive disorder. He's upset, and he he's a great, great, great actor. Him. The only thing I I don't like about his performance in this movie is that to me, no Brad Dorf performance is complete without like him yelling Ch- and, like, and then like a tear coming down his <laughs> his eyes getting all water and he's like <laughs> and yelling at the top of his yeah lungs. he you you it's, a, it's, it's like, like you wait su- for that it's a more su- Subdued. He has a little bit of an outburst at one of the sessions. Yeah, but, but that, that that fulfills that check mark. You know, because <laughs> like, you're waiting quite, for him to, you, you know, because he gets he he he'll be fine, and then it's like it's almost like an abusive parent where it's like he's fine, but then something ticks him off, and he he drops into Chucky. He's like, you are <laughs> fucking, you know, he's like yelling. So I think he then then you have uh, who's also a mystery is the Lance Henriksen character. Yeah. Who we end up finding out is um, was a cop, and that his family was killed in front of him. Very, very. And I thought at first maybe he was lying mm-hmm. about it, but you find out he's telling the truth because he's very mysterious about it. Like yeah, he won't go into it. He's it, like he, the only person in the group that doesn't really share. Yeah, and that's why I thought before we find out his history that I thought maybe he's lying about everything, about having an issue, and he's just in the group to be in the group. Some people can be like that. Yeah. yeah. Then when you find out about it, when he says his backstory about his wife and child getting killed tragically shot while he was in the car um i thought maybe that's a lie too but then when it's backed up by oh it's like he was a cop and he actually knew the investigating officer martinez ruben blades and ruben blades was having an affair with uh, lance henriksen's wife and there was a whole this whole yeah. you know inter thing i wish uh, there was more with lance henriksen like i don't know what Avenue it could take. Well, there, wise. Th- now, did we watch the extended cut or did we watch the theatrical cut? I don't know. I don't know if the theatrical cut e- exists on Be- video. So I know, like the one. I don't. I don't think we like it. Didn't say extended cut, but I don't know if the theatrical cut ever got released. No, I think video. I heard the contention was so. Um, I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but with the idea was that when um, what's his name, uh, the director Rush. Yeah, Richard Rush when he 
when he was done shooting the movie, he made an extended cut, but then he got into it his with his original cut. Yeah. It was long. And, and the producer, Andrew Vajana. <laughs> V-A-J-N-A. Vajna. 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 Uh, they, Vajna. They get into a big dispute about the about cutting, and it gets so big that the trade papers at the time pick it up. Who was a, who was a, a big, uh, a, a great executive producer of sleepover movies. Uh, v- Andrew v- Vagina. V- v- vagina. <laughs> but they get into a big heated fight about what what cut they're going to use, so much so that Rush suffers a heart attack and almost dies, and he's hospitalized. That kind of settles the feud. But they compromise that uh, the producer, he took the movie, recut it to his standards. That's going to get theatrically released. And then the, the I guess the idea is then when the movie gets put on home video, that Rush's un un rated cut will be released. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we could have watched. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, probably the, the cut I know best is probably the extended cut. I mean, we saw it. We get and to see I, a head of a penis and in now it, so that you we, think that's the, And now that we, yeah. I you know, think we, that would be the extended <laughs> cut. You know? Yeah, for, for those of you that uh, have forgotten or, never, or don't know, there was a period in the 90s of video, of video release where, like, the extended director's cut at least for our young minds, often to us meant more nudity. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, that was true. Now, unfortunately, a movie that has come up several times so far on this podcast was not the case with Lord of Illusion. <laughs> I remember my friends and I renting Lord of Illusion, looking the, for the that, extended director's oh, cut, looking for some and being like, where is it? <laughs> why isn't Pamka Jansen naked in this movie? Yeah. I mean, this is the extended director's cut. It's, yeah. You get a little more like, you get a movie like Robocop that's rated X for violence and gore, and then when they, they release that as a theatrical or, or direct underrated cut, you get a little more excessive violence yeah, and gratuitousness. But you always were. But as a as a kid, yeah, you as think a, that as would a mean young as a teenager, <laughs> people were just ripping their clothes off and having sex, and then they're just letting the camera roll. Yeah, and it was because of movies like this. Yeah, you know that came out. You know, a movie that had a theatrical release, and again, you know, a little ahead of ourselves, was a flop. Yeah. But yet, one of the most rented movies of 1995. Yeah, and when, when because the year this comes out of the sk- yeah, all the of Jane March get naked all the time and all this stuff. I mean, she's only Jesus, what twenty in the movie or twenty one at the time? She's no, born in seventy three. I can't remember the name of the movie, unfortunately. The I sh- Lover. Sh- yeah, there was a movie where she had a bit of a uh, there was a scandal in terms of like reputation, and that there was uh, it was called The Lover. I think that's the movie. Yeah, and she's born in 73, and then she becomes a model. Quickly, she's picked up becoming like a... a, a, she, a, a she become like a model a contest, contest or something. Yeah. Contest. And, and she becomes a model. She gets on the cover of like a, a, a teen or whatever magazine, and a producer sees her. She's on the, the French cover, Just 17. A, uh, a producer sees her and casts her in the 1992 movie, The Lover. And then there's some sort of controversy, because I guess this is like a... It's said, there's a rumor going around that her and the main star have sex on screen. Yeah. Like it's actual, like what Dion was saying with... Angel Heart. Yeah, or Donald Sutherland and Don't Look Back. Yeah, Don't Look Back. Or Don't or, Look Now. Or, uh, <laughs> Damn it. We don't want to see Bob Dylan having sex on screen. Or the Last Tango in Paris. Yeah. Uh, later, um, Asi Argento's uh, 
Uh, Willem Dafoe was that that movie where that crazy no movie? no not that one but the one she directed Scarlett Diva yeah she was supposedly having actual sex with people so there's these there's this subgenre of like the erotic movie yeah. well now <laughs> they just have where there's rumors that like it's actual sex not simulated sex yeah. and when you would think because I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking the, especially for the Bruce Willis parts it, it seems just so much you take out of the, the cheating if you have a spouse or whatever but it just seems so much easier just to have the sex <laughs> You know what I mean? Because as a guy, even though, I mean, I guess you think about you're going to be sitting around set for th- a couple hours, yeah, yeah. ready, you get, they do a take, they got to readjust. But if you're sitting there, guy or girl, and there's someone on top of you, you're, you're, you're imitating well, a love sequence. I was hearing something. It was, maybe it was Denzel Washington. And like, you know, he's, you know, saying to like his co-star for a sex scene, like, you know, in terms of talking about like whether he's going to get an erection or not, like. I apologize if I do, and I apologize to you if I don't. <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, people say uh, they talk about doing sex scenes as being not erotic at all. You know, it's yeah. very technical. There's a bunch of people, yada, yada, yada. But uh, she is apparently kind of. Jane March. Jane March is apparently kind of um, professionally scarred by these rumors, which she denies. In the lover. In the lover, but also is also very angry in that like her co-star and whoever never denied it too. Yeah, Tony Lung, L-E-U-N-G. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I could see why somebody would cast her in a movie like that. Yeah. Well, then <laughs> her next movie comes to be this, but then sh- it's funny because she says she's reads the script and she's very off-put by the required nudity for this movie, Color at Night. Yeah. And it makes her very uncomfortable, but she says, well, Bruce Willis is going to be in it. He's awesome, and yeah. I'm going to be doing... He's, he's the, a big star. And I'm going to be doing everything with career, him. Yeah. So she decides to do it, and then she ends up saying that it's uh, as off-putting as all the nudity and sex were going to be. She ends up she says, I'm not comfortable. She says, I wasn't comfortable with the nudity in Color of Night, but she was very happy with the filming process yeah, because yeah. everybody, including Bruce Willis, made her comfortable. Yeah, yeah. She, was, she felt it was gratuitous. And she also thought that at least uh, the, um, the scenes, she says, I guess in The Lover, the scenes were relevant in the script. Uh, for the sex scenes, but she said in the color of night, she just thought, like you said, it yeah, was yeah. gratuitous. The the you know, which I guess to her, that's what we were. Yeah, going and for. like honestly, like I've never seen her in anything. Yeah, after well, that's I think so. The, I think the happens is there's this controversy because of the lover. She then she does color of night. While she's on color of night, she starts dating uh, the film's co-producer, this Carmine Zazora, and then she ends up getting married on uh, in June 1993. In an eleven-minute ceremony, in which the best man is Bruce Willis, and the uh, and the maid of honor is Demi Moore, yeah, and they get married right on set, and then they she and that doesn't go until ninety-seven. She separates, and they divorce in two thousand one. But uh, so I don't know if after this movie came out, she has done stuff. I mean, if you look at her IMD page, yeah. it's just not stuff that I'm. Maybe she just with. was like, I'm not going to start getting nude anymore. And like, why? Well, what's the problem? <laughs> that's, what, that's what you're here yeah, for, yeah, baby. Yeah, that's, what you, that's what you're known for. You know what I mean? It's like Shannon Tweed. You embrace it, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know where she... I haven't really seen her after that. But she does this movie in this sense. And I will say, like, I think she's really good in this movie. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she's English in real life. I mean, once in a while you do hear well, something come out. depends when she's playing, because she plays multiple characters. Yeah. I mean... I mean, she's also it's not multiple characters in like an Eddie Murphy kind of way. No, but like that she has like prosthetics on. Well, well, she does. <laughs> 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 but 
<laughs> in that like she has multiple personality. So she's playing Rose. Yes. Who's having this uh love affair with Bruce Willis. Yeah. But she's also playing a character uh, uh, a personality called named Bonnie. Yeah. Who now that is clearly like we're supposed to make that connection as a viewer. Yeah. That she's kind of playing everybody in this group to a certain extent, or at least some. We find out it's everybody in the group, but she. But we know that she's having a friendship and a relationship with uh, Leslie Ann Warren's character. And in that character, in the character of Bonnie, she wears a red wig and talks with a British accent. Yeah. And then they end up having, they kiss a little bit and it comes a little bisexuality there. She's in the 2000 movie Prince, uh, Dark Prince, The True Story of Dracula. Is that the TV movie that was about Vlad the Impaler? What year is it? 2000. That might have been That's the why I highlighted Weller. It, yeah. Uh, the movie that we, we always talk TNT. about. That, yeah, Extravaganza, because it's a TV movie. There was a period of time where Dion and my, uh, we were bugged, and every idea that we came up with would get stolen. <laughs> and you, Often for te- television movies. Yeah, and you think that- Like, that for instance, a Lincoln movie starring- L- Lance, Lance Henderson, Henderson as, as, Lincoln. as Lincoln. Yeah, and then I forgot why we wanted to do that, but that came out. That we talked called Lincoln. It was a TNT movie called Lincoln. Called, yeah, with the great Rob Morrow. Yeah. Uh, and then there was, I always wanted to make, still to this day, still want to make a, an actual movie about Vlad the Impaler, yeah. Vlad, Vlad Dracula, and yet like USA came out one. with something. That's and why I, I didn't know that, if this is that, it. This, that might be it. And then yeah. in 2013, she did Jack the Giant Killer, which I actually liked, which was the, uh, you know, it was, tr- was kind of like a action, one of those mixes, yeah. but it was straight, you know, it was kind of, it wasn't more of a fairy tale. So she, I, she, you're right. She's done a bunch of stuff she's kept working I clash of the titans really. she's in in 2010 the remake you know so she yeah she's just nothing i guess noticeable that we'd know but yeah so there's scenes in the movie where uh we're not supposed to make the connection that she's richie in the group yeah but then when she shows up uh, yeah exactly i think I mean, it's supposed I think to be when a reveal. i saw it like i said when i saw it i think i knew there was something up with richie yeah something's wrong but but you like maybe <laughs> but, the, that's but, because they're trying to say that he has but gender for issues. some reason i remember and not being like shocked by it like oh my god like i didn't see that coming yeah but being like oh like i got so invested in this movie that it never occurred to me to yeah to look for it you know what i mean and then and i think that's one of the reasons why that to this day i like this movie was because like i recognize i remember that viewing experience flipping your script and, and being like i was really i bought it yeah. you know like i got i got emotionally invested in this movie enough to just give my give myself away well to that's it. almost the classic whodunit no matter where you get it from i mean for me at least if you watch Murray and at the end of the day like she's not the one who done it that's and that was a <laughs> twist i that's the twist i you know but for for you to in a great whodunit when you it's completely if it's either uh, you know agatha christie or yeah. whoever you get it if you're able to be fooled or it's executed great you know uh, that's really fun. So when you sh- when she shows up as uh, Amy, is that her name? Rose. Rose. When she shows up as Rose, she's herself, and she starts having a relationship with Bruce, Bruce Willis. And I mean by herself, it's how she looks in real life. Yeah, yeah. And then and we find out that's actually her name too. Yeah, and her then real name is Rose. She start. Then we find out seeing Leslie Ann Warren's character that she's playing Bonnie. And I think you're right. The audience is supposed to make the connection that that's the same person. Yeah. And then when Bruce Willis is coming over Leslie Ann Warren's house to talk to her, she Bonnie did. freaks like, out. Well, like, yeah, like, why did you tell I, him Yeah, I got to get out of here, you know, and she tries to hide and run away. 
And then as the movie goes on, I, th- I, I think you're supposed to realize there's an audience and everyone's starting to say like, oh, I'm, I'm having this great relationship. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then even, who is it? Lance Henriksen that says she's 105. Describes it with T. You think that Bruce Willis would like an eyebrow wouldn't go up and be like, and I thought he was even like, she has a tattoo of a rose on her ass, you know? Because and then because in the movie she has a she has a re- a tattoo a red rose tattoo on her left buttock, and that's funny because as you said before, since Bruce Willis can't see the color red, there's a scene in the movie where Bruce so um, Scott Bakula said. Before he died, that he was getting harassed, and it was get you know he was getting scared, so he added all the security. It starts happening to Bruce Willis, where there's a scene where there's a rattlesnake in the yeah, that in was the mail. I remember that was a big trailer moment. Yeah, where you know that he was goes big, to get like, the mail. You know, you know, commercials, and then you know, there's a fucking rattlesnake, <laughs> and it's funny because he falls back on the highway. Mailbox snakes, and he's like, he's like looking around. There's a and there's there's yeah, road work down the road. Comedic. Yeah, this is what there's road work down the road. There's a car coming. It's it swerves out of the way to miss the road work. Gets into the lane coming towards Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis gets scared, and then as the guy goes by, the guy starts yelling at Bruce Willis <laughs> like it's Bruce Willis's fault. And then he looks over, and there's like guy a, a road, <laughs> like a wig out of the weed wagon, yeah, like a day worker, and he's like, he's like, help me, but the guy. <laughs> can't hear him because he's got like a weed wagon. If they wagger. added like one more thing, it would have been like yeah, a spoof. Yeah, because you, you know, it would have been like a like an airplane type spoof. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were, they were like bo- a, ba- <laughs> a marching band goes by. And he's like, hell, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, I feel like it's like the noise might set off the rattlesnake, yeah. you know? <laughs> and yeah, he, like one, they were one joke away from like a great Sucker Brothers comedy. <laughs> and, then it, and then it ends up being like the. Um, you know he, he he's able to get away and what's he do he goes and gets a shovel and beats like the shit out of this well the snake goes away but he like yeah. he's like you know knocks it out of the thing and we see it kind of yeah. slither away and so then later on in the movie he gets a phone call in the car when he's on the highway and it's somebody in a car around him talking yeah. in the I'm crazy in the red car yeah <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden it's from Black Christmas and he's and he's looking around and there's like cars around but then he can't see the color red, which you may forget. Yeah. So you see red but, cars around him, so he starts looking for like the antenna of a cell phone. Yeah, yeah. You but know? the big payoff of the red thing, the whole like he oh, can't yes. see red Yeah, thing, it works phenomenally. Is uh, in the first murder of somebody in the group, which is Kevin O'Connor, the swan character. After Scott Bakula gets killed. Yeah, yeah. But like in the group, you know, he's like this rich kid who's an artist and... We see that he uh, is into some uh, bondagey type stuff. Yeah, and although, we don't, although we don't see with who. Yeah, he's into know? like the S and M kind of like with uh, with the dominatrix and stuff. And uh, so uh, Bruce Willis calls, leaves a message. He's like, "I'm going to come over. I want to talk to you. I can't get a hold of you." And then we find that uh, somebody puts like a belt around his neck, and the the, the, the guy. Yeah, around Swan's neck, and then. As an audience, we're kind of cued into that. He knows the person that this is probably the person that he's been having like this uh, bondagey type relationship with, and so Bruce Willis comes in, and he's walking around, and the, you know there's a fire because whoever uh, did it is trying to cover up their tracks and so he discovers that like all the faces of all the paintings are cut off so he's trying to because the guy says before that he's an artist and he's been painting her the, the new relationship he's been in he's been painting the girl head to toe as his muse the model so all the the paintings have the head cut out and bruce suddenly realizes that every painting is missing the face so he runs back to the freaking fire that was on fire tries to put it out yeah finds and a tries face to look at one of the faces makes the realization is. i think then that he that it's her 
and then he then you know there's the, the, some other stuff happened, but then there's like he uh, you know some some paintings come down like they're all like on a uh, some sort of like I don't know clothesline ish kind of a thing. Then behind the paintings is the guy upside down, and yeah, this is what I'm saying. It's a great sequence where it's it looks like there's paint like yeah, gray like paint gray on him, and he and Bruce like picks it up, he like sniffs it, like licks <laughs> it, you know, it's like. <laughs> Gets it in his teeth, you know, <laughs> and he doesn't realize it's warm. And then he looks up at the guy, and then and realizes. And then I think, does it do it for Bruce or for the audience? I don't know. That's like, a does good Bruce question. have it? Does it Bruce's eyes? It goes. No, red. I don't think so because we don't. Bruce Bruce doesn't see red until the end of the movie with that light. Bulb. Okay. Oh, so yeah. So it goes red. But it reveals for, us. for the audience that it's that, that it's, it's not, not great paint. Yeah. It's, that so it's, it's, it's blood. It's great. So that it's, it's completely. The big pay, it's a big payoff yeah. of that. And I think maybe. Along that might be maybe the reveal isn't like you're saying that it's red for him, but I think it is the realization for him that it is blood, not yeah, gray. yeah, and that's when it goes red just so the audience knows, yeah, yeah, you know, look, that's a great in. moment, yeah, yeah, it's a great, it's an, and it's only the it's the only real payoff of that whole thing that he doesn't see red for an audience, yeah, and then uh, <laughs> where are we going? With so then you know, shit starts going happen, so it's leading down this path where I thought the whole time, oh, it's her, yeah, doing all the killing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it certainly is insinuating. Ro- that. Yeah, and and then you have this and other he's trying to figure out who the fuck Richie is. Yeah, who's Richie? Anybody know Richie? <laughs> who the who fuck killed is Richie? Richie? That's out of uh, uh, you, the movie. Um, out for anybody know who killed Bobby Lupo? Anybody know who killed Richie? <laughs> he finds out who uh, that Richie had a Richie's guardian is is a bro- is his brother Dale, and they had uh, an abusive relationship or whatever. And, and that see that throws me off because you meet Dale. Dale comes the brother character comes to uh, Bruce Wilson and says, "I want to get uh, Richie out of therapy." And so uh, my immediate thought was, "Oh, if he isn't his brother, maybe it's another lover." Yeah, you know, because Richie's actually the girl. We've Richie. said <laughs> Richie. <laughs> Anyone don't kill Bobby Lupo? So. Maybe that this is a lover being paid, you know, so that's my, that's how I, because I said to myself, well, if, if Richie is really a girl, yeah. this guy who's supposed to be the brother is going to know that for how many years that he couldn't <laughs> hide, hid that this is, you know, and then Bruce Willis starts to do some binary backstory on Richie and then he's finding out about all this back, you know, he was, this other psychiatrist was seeing him and this, and this happened and then he was, maybe they were molested, yeah, and, you we know. Yeah, find out that the, the, the therapist that he was seeing as a kid, which was probably a, a social services type situation, yeah. was molesting him. Played by Martin Landau in our heads. <laughs> 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 Fucking Martin Landau. Yeah. Martin, God bless him, he just passed away. But that's not, that's just our leap. Martin Landau's not in this movie. <laughs> We're saying for our, it's either going to be Ernest Borgnine or Martin Landau. Although Martin the guy Landau. that plays like Bruce Willis's mentor, yeah, he's in a crapload of stuff. A lot of shit, and it's funny Dating too back because to like the '30s, which I don't understand. Is there's a scene? Yeah, he's in a shitload of stuff. Yeah, you're right. From even back then, that there's a scene in the movie where he does he fly he flies back to New York. No, I think the insinuation is that because they say welcome his, to New welcome back. Well, that his friend is his mentor is in California for. Some kind of conference. Oh, I thought he. I got confused because there's a scene at the. I have a note at the beginning of this movie, when when um, when Bruce Willis and Scott Bakula, the back, uh, are are um, bonding. They go on a bike. 
run and they're like they're like you know they're about to get ready for the bike and they're like you're ready to go and he's like yeah and then bruce um scott back the the back's like hold on a minute i gotta f- he makes some adjustments on his bike and they're like, okay you're ready to go and they start going and then all of a sudden you cut and then they come back <laughs> like, and they're all tired so from the editing they it went looks around like, the cul-de-sac yeah it just looks like they just, and then they're like oh, oh, uh, and, and it's supposed to lead to believe they had this whole because they're like we're gonna go 10 miles and bruce was like i thought we're gonna go 30 and then they take off and then the, the next cut is them just coming back into the driveway so i was like oh they didn't it just really you know but so later in the movie that messed me up with i thought he flew back to no, New York. I, the I, guy's it's even not, in a it's uh, not quite clear he's like in a new york athletic club yeah, yeah uh so i thought he just went back to the you know he found him in the gym and he's like listen i need to talk to you he's like well maybe yeah the richie he's the whole part of this i know? think the insinuation is that he's his friend is in california for a conference at the hotel. now we should mention that since this is the era uh, Bruce Willis has got his the, the sunglasses he's wearing are what I used to wear back in the day in the 90s and uh, it's very much Bruce Willis's look in striking distance as well as his look in uh, like the Jackal member from a couple mm-hmm. of years later he's got those you know they're not they're not like uh, gargoyles or yeah. Terminator shades you know he's got that look going and um they there's a scene where they go are they do they go to the whiskey is that the whiskey at go-go it's supposed. To, I don't know if they shot it in the interior of, but it is the exterior for sure. Like it it's is supposed to be that the Whiskey Alagogo, which is a very yeah. famous club in L.A. Because so Bruce Willis goes and meets Martinez, the detective, and he gets a little backstory about stuff, and you know, and uh, that's either here nor there for plot. I just didn't know if that was supposed to be yeah. the club. Um, so it's and then also there's a Brian McKnight song that's in the movie that that's kind of like the the theme. And every time I kept hearing it, I thought it was going to burst into Christopher Cross's Stuck Between the mo- <laughs> Moon and New York City. I thought yeah, he was going to yeah. be like, you know, London, I won't see. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, part of the music is part of this, like, hyper like Every scene, I thought he was going to be like, you know, Stuck Between the Moon and New York City. <laughs> best that you can't do all the time. <laughs> like, I was waiting for, like, Christopher Cross. Yeah. When you know, you'll find her. <laughs> No, no, no. The music is part of like this hyper realism that I, I keep talking about it, meaning that like everything's kind of heightened. It's yeah. like this hyper reality. And uh, and from a filmic standpoint, it has to do with that music. I mean, this movie would be a very different movie and probably will have aged better and be taken more seriously now if given a different score. score. It's funny because... The score is dated, but yet is so <clears throat> over the top in, in a lot of cases. It's it, and, and also, as big as this genre of filmmaking was at the time, also a very f- uh, other genre, which we hit it upon, was the, the, the mocking, the mock... And we talked about our guy, Aideen Bell, who did Backfire, which was a, a mockery of Backdraft. Yeah. Uh, there was Basic Instinct, and there was the one with... Remember the Amanda Sante movie? Oh, I love called, that! I was just listening. I was just that watching that movie. That's the it's it's Marta Sante and Sean Young, directed yeah. by uh, Carl Reiner. Yeah, I forget the name of that, but it's it's supposed to be a it's a mockery of ba- something bag, impact. Basic sudden impact. <laughs> yeah, sudden impact. <laughs> He's playing dirty, dirty Harry. Yeah, it's like a it's a it's a kind of a spoof of. Obviously, basic instinct, but also just like film noir. Yeah, also, and n- n- the Naked Gun movies are huge at the time. So this movie could have been ripe. Right now, we're making up. We could have done a great, great p- 
parody of this movie <laughs> with the was the, you know the Zucker with the snake. If we went like airplane on this freaking naked gun on this, we could have had the ra- we're coming up with the rattlesnake joke in the uh, the mailbox. Yeah, or, well, or the moon in New York City <laughs> coming on like right when this like they start having sex, we start having fatal like instinct. Fatal instinct. Yes. Nineteen ninety three. Yeah. So it was yeah. actually before this movie. Wow. It God was, bless. It was a dire- it was a direct. Uh, homage, uh, or homage, uh, you know, answer to comedic answer to basic instinct. Um, but there's a lot of just like double indemnity type jokes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like just also going because it's Carl Reiner who also did Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Yeah, so it's all very much <coughs> a throwback, and his father being uh, his son Rob Reiner. Rob, yeah, Rob something. Yeah, his son's Rob Reiner. So Carl Reiner's in. Carl Reiner, we did. Uh, was it Summer Rental? He directed. Yeah, he did. Yeah, because he because he's back. He, I mean, he he goes back to him and Mel Brooks were like doing. You yeah, know, they were joke com- writers. You comedy know. records too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The four hundred. What is it? The four thousand year old man, or I forget the name of the, the guy. But I mean, so and then you have the car start chasing Bruce Willis, and it's such a noticeable Camaro. Like it's so hard. You think who's gonna? And it's actually the same car that Lance Henriksen has. Yeah, and you you kind of it's a red. You know, really awesome looking cam- like late 70s Camaro but when uh, you see it in Lance Henriksen's garage it's not all beat up exactly right? so it throws you off like did he go I need this body work done <laughs> and I needed it done yesterday <laughs> as he's smoking at some guy but you're right so then it's like oh it's not is it the same car but it's not him but it's Damn not that yeah so how freak because I would think that like red herring you just movie. gotta go find a red freaking Camaro that looks like Bumblebee in the movies from 20 <laughs> years from now but it's not so you th- you know you think that would be no, you know that's it's script logic, but it doesn't end up being. And plus, he's not going to know it's red. Yeah. Um, but then it's it's and then the world we live in. There's just very blasé about nudity. There's a scene where Bruce Willis goes over to the detective's house and to talk to the detective, and it's the detective's birthday, so they're having this huge block party, and he's like, oh, you know, there's there's there's, there's like a there's a Latin band. They're play, it's really like they're, they they close the whole block down for this detective for Ruben Blades. Then all of a sudden, this helicopter comes out of the way. Oh yeah, and the helicopter <laughs> they, they have a spotlight, and they look up, and you think it's going to be like people. And then then you hear someone get on the PA system. It's a police helicopter, and you think they're going to tell them to shut the music down. But there's people like on the landing skids of the helicopter, yeah. and there's a chick, and then she just pulls her pants down and i guess it's i'm assuming it's not a real cop it's a stripper they probably got to do it Uh, or the lapd's that crazy (laughs) either way it's a (laughs) insurance nightmare yeah because she's there there's three people on the skids (laughs) there's two on on the on the right skid one being this girl she pulls her pants down and it's funny because you think like the first thing you do is you'd show your breasts this yeah. one goes. She throws, shows her ass, yeah. and like, and she's looking down, so you could probably see some other things. And then it's funny. You cut to, to the to the relate shot of the crowd. The crowd's like, <laughs> you know, guys and girls. Like, you know, my parents are there. They're like, yeah, all right, all right. And then, yeah. and then the girl quickly puts her pants back up, and the captain helps well, flies away. Also, but there's like a picture in that photo album of Scott Bakula's ex-wife naked. Yeah. And Ruben Blades made a. He's like, "Ooh, she's got a good bush too." He's like, I'll tell her that, that you said that. I He's like, "What?" It's but a then naked we have girl. Leslie Ann Warren and Jane March, like, like, yeah, peeping Tom, peeping yeah. on uh, people across the way, very erotic. having sex. Yeah, it's a very open. Yeah, it's, it's all well. It's exploring the whole. Uh, <laughs> you know, part of the. Um, since we're talking about sex, <laughs> let's talk about sex, baby. But a, you know, of the era, <laughs> of the era, you and <laughs> that, that me. Song, all uh, the things. That- but you know, we're talking about like the music, kind of like being, uh, you know, kind of hyper, uh, heightened, heightened reality of of the the filmmaking of this movie. Um, part of that has, you know, part of it, another perfect example of that is 
the first when we the, when the Jane when Rose and Bruce Willis's character Doctor Bill Kappa have sex, the big the big pool scene, yes, which is movie, but it opens with like they start kissing, and then like this zoom out to see that they're like. It bordered by you know like a hole like a hole in the wall you yeah know, like it's a, very stylized yeah it's, it's like, like a, the it's zoom out, the zoom out is kind of you know almost laughable by today's standards and then the, then the soundtrack shit. starts but then we launch into like the a, ex- a sexathon a sex you know it, it's like it seems like it goes on forever an extended sex scene where it's like you get this is where we get Bruce Willis in the pool where. They're uh, doing it in the pool. Yeah. They're doing it in the bed. And supposedly, I guess <laughs> Bruce Willis's uh, uh, member was deemed too small, is what it says on the internet. So a body double's used, but you see, like he's ripped. They both they start kissing, like Blake says. It zooms back. Music starts, and then he like tosses her in the pool. Then they're underwater in the pool. They get up. They start ripping each other's clothes off. They start doing it in the pool. They're doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it well. And then and then she's on she's on top of them like backward. Then they're doing it, doing it some more. And then she's like, "Listen, I want to make dinner. Let's eat yeah, dinner. Get dressed up." Yeah, he, she, he's like, "What?" So the next scene is he's dressed up. It's almost like it's shot out of sequence. Yeah, we take a break yeah. for a split second. He's in a suit. He's he's shaved. He's 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 all. He's got gel on his hair. He's like in a nice like like a nice like you know like light like camel colored suit. <laughs> yeah. And then she comes and then and then she's made looks like she's made some pasta or something, but she's completely <laughs> naked. And he's like she's like, How do you like the food? And he, and I remember that I remember that line where he's like, I like it better if it was five inches to the left. So she moves it. Yeah. And he wants to see her. Because she it's a glass table so she he could see down, he could see her, her unmentionables between her legs and he gives a big smile. And then they're like, Fuck it, we're not gonna eat, let's go have some sex some more. And <laughs> <Yeah>. then <laughs> they go again. They hit the bell. Bing and then they start Round doing it again. And then that's when they yeah, the sh- then they're like, let's take a shower. Let's do- <laughs> it's like, you know, when people, uh, you know, when you get, you start having a relationship, it's like, let's do it anywhere we can do it. So it's like, they're then they're in the yeah. shower. <laughs> Chris the whole house. Yeah. And then, then they're back in the pool and I think she's like laying on them backwards and she's like doing this and he's, he's just, he's like, what am I going to, I'm just going to play with your boobs. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's Run just out of sex, things sex. To do. And then like, you know, I think someone, someone calls and he's like, I'll call you back. What's sex. <laughs> UPS guy comes, you know, <laughs> sliding. It's got back in the hair. No, no, no. I got some stuff with Dr. Sam Beckett. Yeah, he's, he's stuck in time and then he's more sex. So, yeah, the sexathon, but that zoom out is part of that whole thing mm. that I was saying. So, uh, we probably should start wrapping it up. Uh, but so, uh, you so know, we, we get to the climax where everyone's starting to die. He I, figured they'd figure out. Yeah. He finds. There's a realization in group. Yeah. Where he finds a pic, he finds her. Remember, he he. There's a book missing one day, and that's a great little thing. Where because uh, Brad Dwarf, 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 he he since he's a compulsive disorder, he's, he's counting everything. He counts everything, and it's great, almost like a very a la Rain Man. And we he's saw like, that we saw earlier in the movie before Scott in the scene that Scott Bakula dies, and before he dies, we see that he hides his journal, like his, his like his notes or his yeah. journal in the bookshelf. Um, by putting like another book like jacket, a, like over a, it. yeah, like putting like a dust sleeve over it, yeah, uh, from another book. And so there's the um, so Brad Dorif, like when he's waiting to start he, one group session, he's like, he's reading. There's 58 books. There's always 59 books. How yeah. weird! Like because he's he counts everything when he gets. Then the, the next when the, when they have the realization, if he gets the notes, he's like just he's counting. He's like he's there's like, 59. How weird. Back. There's 15. There's another. There's 59 again. Last and they're like session. Leslie and Warren. He's like I stole stuff, <laughs> but I didn't read it. I didn't read it. And then they, and he looks through it and he finds a picture of that. The bacula took of her with the and of it's Rose, yeah. Rose in the shower. And she's Bonnie. like, yeah, with the and she's got the little red. It's a great tattoo. scene. 
It's a great scene, and Bruce Willis is really good in it. Like yeah. his upset, his acting. You know, like because a lot of it's nonverbal. It's yeah. you know, it's his realization of it, and he passes it on his face, and he says to the, like, the group, does anybody, anybody reckon, "Yeah, does anybody know who this is?" And the body, the like, "Oh, that's that's it's my friend Bonnie. That's Bonnie. That's, that's, yeah. that's your fucking Bonnie. That's, that's my the, body. That's the body yeah. you've been born us <laughs> the fuck out of. That's so great. The fucking day in and day out. That's our Bonnie. That's my Bonnie." And then Brad Dourif was like, "I just stopped." <laughs> um, so, so then you leading it up to believe. I thought, "Oh, it's her killing everybody." Yeah. And then at the the climax of the movie, sh- dun, dun, dun. it's not her; it's the brother Dale. Yeah. Because <laughs> you hit it, hit me up. Well, because so Richie, <laughs> Richie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Richie died. Yeah, Richie died at hor- the age of twelve. Oh, maybe killed himself. Maybe suicide. Yeah, I think killed himself because of the molestation. Presumably, presumably because of the molestation by the Martin Going. Landau <laughs> <laughs> psychiatrist character, and, who has since died too. And uh, we find he. So Bruce Willis breaks Bru- into Bruce the, Lee, to the Bruce widow's. Lee, Bruce Willis finds out he, through the widow of. He breaks the, into the will, wi- the widow's house. Yeah. Takes down her door. She tries to he use. Like, the tell me about. <laughs> give me the fucking phone. <laughs> tell me about Richie. I need to know about Richie. Kill Bobby Lupo. <laughs> <laughs> she's like. She's like. I don't know. Richie died. Yeah, he's a, That's where that's the big reveal that Richie died. Richie killed himself. Richie was molested. Yada yada yada. Mark Lando's uh, dead. Mark Martin Lando character. Yeah. <laughs> is dead. We find out who's the, you know, we got Dale, but Richie also had a sister. Yes. Named Rose. Rose. And then you, F. And then you realize that Dale, the older brother, was also being molested by Martin Landau. Maybe knew that the younger brother, Richie, was being molested, but then when Richie presumably committed suicide, died... I guess the logic is that Dale was so either In upset about the of that upset upset over guilt about what happened or upset that Richie decided to kill himself that he needed Richie to be replaced yeah. so he turns Rose In a sleepaway camp twist of <laughs> yes <laughs> I mean, if you guys don't get that go go, go check sleepaway camp out we find out that uh, Rose has been turned into Richie and forcibly a, I think that's a great scene that reveal. Not the reveal of like taking the glass off, blah blah blah, but like, I think she's really good in this movie. Like Jane I think March. Jane March yeah, is yeah. really good. Yeah, and like the idea of like her explanation is like, and then he said, like called me Richie, and I was upset, so I just didn't correct him, kind of. And then she kept saying Rose is dead or yeah, something. She you kept, know, you know, he kept on saying I'm not. And just like the, but you get that you hear about people who were abused by parents or whatever, or and then pretty soon she just accepted it and yeah. became Richie. For like him. you hear that with like parents that are fucked up, like you know they wanted a daughter so they dressed the kid up as yeah, a yeah. girl, or you know you hear like they start the gender. Yeah, change, I mean aside you know. from the spoiler alert, uh, the sleepaway camp aspect of the. The gender stuff. I mean, that's what sleepaway camp is. That there's two boys and they have to go live with their aunt, and the aunt wanted a little, wants them to be a little girl, and so just starts calling her Angela. Yeah, that's (laughs) fucked, and makes her a girl. So you 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 think that it's um that it's it's uh, Rose doing the killing, but you find no, she's a victim, and she is almost she. I guess she's a schizophrenic. 
because she's actually yeah. having like uh you know she to, multiple, to cope yeah there's definitely a, like a multiple personality yeah. disorder so going on since rose is suppressed and richie she becomes richie to the point where she doesn't realize she becomes a split character to cope with the two of them then a third character she comes out bonnie bonnie and bonnie is the sexually promiscuous where so but in actuality bruce willis has been actually dating or have the falls in love with with rose rose the and actual her actual personality and then everyone in group has been saying that i love this girl but i think she loves somebody else and then to the point where isn't the scene where Leslie and Warren is with Bonnie and she says, you don't love him. She goes, no, I'm in love with somebody else. So we're leading to believe that she's actually fallen in love with Bruce, Bruce Willis. Yeah. Because we don't know how the movie's going to go because it's just one of these freeze frame endings and the credits roll over it. So it, it could very well be, are they going to live happily yeah. ever after? But there's the reveal that she's nailed to the fucking chair. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you're like, oh, she couldn't have done that to herself. Richie's nailed to the chair. He takes the hat, off, the the hair off. It's it's Rose and Ro is it Rose or is it Bonnie? And then yeah, she's nailed to the chair. And then it's her brother Dale with a crazy nail gun. And then yeah. Reuben Blades comes and gets <laughs> nailed. That's pretty <laughs> fucked up. He gets nailed to the wall. He's like, yeah, go yeah. go go! And they chase him up to. And then it becomes very almost like the end of Hitch Vertigo. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a very you know very I Hitchcock. Would, I would ending. say almost blatant homage to Vertigo. Or, or at you the know end there you know or even what's the one where they go up to the statue? Is it Saboteur? Where they go up to the Saboteur, Statue of Liberty? Yeah, but. The you idea know, of that, like they go up a tower, a split personality. She's trying to escape. Yada, yeah, yada, yada. Jimmy Stewart's like, we're gonna fucking do this now. <laughs> we're gonna get your blood and hair on, and we're gonna go up to that fucking shit and redo it. And Yo, it was, bitch, is that too hard? Hit and you? she almost falls. They save. He saves her. She's gonna kill herself. He talks her out. He says, "If you go, I go." Yeah, which uh, is balls. Like I mean it. Yeah, you know, like I got nothing. If you if you kill yourself, I'm killing myself. She wind lives, her, yeah. saves her, blah, blah, blah. They're sitting up the thing, and love is what brings the color red back. And then he looks at, yeah, there's, and a, there's a little th thing at the beginning of the movie. His his mentor guy, older guy that we're talking about who's working out in the gym, yeah. <laughs> says to him, uh, to deny red is to deny emotion. Yeah. And so we're led to believe that now that he finds love, He's red. He's will. He can see the color red again because we. Re he realizes that one of the lights up on this tower that he's up on is actually a a red light. Not yeah, a white for light. probably for plane traffic, you know, so the so the plane doesn't hit it. Um, and then cue music. Yada yada yada. But uh, I love like I fully embrace like this cheesy over uh emotional you know over exaggerated aspect of this movie and like i said to me <clears throat> it stands it helps this movie stand out from the other erotic thrillers of the time and when i first saw it i didn't really have as much of a frame of reference but in hindsight now with uh, a little bit of separation realizing that this movie really is much more akin to things like dress to kill and uh new york ripper and stuff like that this over exaggerated reality of uh heightened over dramatic music and you know zoom outs which you know, are maybe a little bit uh you know kitschy or whatever by today's standards um it certainly is a movie that has its own feel going on in comparison to the other movies of the time that we were talking about earlier in the podcast and i think for that reason like it kind of stands out for me yeah and i can embrace it even though i understand why that can be considered 
really cheesy and off-putting or funny to uh, probably the vast majority of a, of a movie-going audience in watching this movie. But for me, it's like it's charming. Yeah, <laughs> like that aspect of it is kind of charming about it. Um, the guy we're talking about, uh, the old man, is Jeff Corey, and like you said, yeah, he's been everything from early. You'll find out, which is a Kate Kaiser movie to Humphrey Bogart movies uh, to huge like character actor battle. Beyond the stars, yeah, and he's yeah, a, a voice on the '90s Spider-Man show. Yeah, yes. tons of episodic television. And you recognize I think him most you see people, him. especially in, in the '60s pe- and '70s, especially our generation and younger. Yeah, we'll I recognize think him. instantly recognize him um, as being a familiar face. I think to take a, uh, a a a page out of your book, I didn't think I'd like this movie as much as I did going into it because of just the you know. Uh, the silliness, I guess, that you, yeah. you always you always get to it, but it ends up. I mean, it's it 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 does what it what it does. I mean, you know, it's 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 good what it does, and it does have. I mean, it does at points seem like a like a B kind of like Mickey Splane kind of a thriller <laughs> with the music yeah, yeah. and stuff. But it's not trying to be. I think the the heart is in the right place, and it's not trying to be cheesy yeah. in any way. Is it, it just, entirely successful? And it's in it's probably all, not, <laughs> you know. And I don't know if it, it to a certain point is trying to upstage the basic instinct that's happening at the time. You know that comes out. So, you know, there's scenes in Basic Instinct where they're having sex, and she. Well, he's you know, certainly she, an older director. Rush is certainly from a different generation of like Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, you know, he's from an older generation, and you know, like even though Ruin Friedkin did, I think he did Jade. Yeah, he did do Jade. And he's David Caruso. And he's you know his real heyday had been in the seventies, really as a success. You know, as a success, uh, Richard Rush predates him. Most of Richard Rush's movies were kind of in the sixties, uh, and then you know in the seventies, and then you know kind of culminating in nineteen eighty with the stuntman. I think part of it is that Richard Rush is just of a, an older generation and from a different coming from a different aspect of cinema than people like Verhoeven and even William Friedkin and whatnot. So I think it gives it a very different feel. Like I said, is it successful? That's up to debate. Yeah. Even I would never even I who likes who likes this movie a lot would not would never argue that this movie is not flawed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it comes out that the budget was forty million. It only makes nineteen at the box office, and I mean, even you think it would do better in Europe, but even like in Europe, it doesn't. You know, it's kind of only grosses like five hundred thousand dollars in Sweden, only about a million in the UK, four million, almost five million in Germany because they like this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not, not to throw stereotypes. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, one hundred twelve thousand in Austria. You know, three hundred sixty-four in Argentina, uh, and it, it it gets a lot of raspberries. It, it wins the raspberry for worst picture, but it's nominated eight other times. But it does get a Golden Globe nomination for its song, "The Color of Night," performed by uh, Lauren Christie. But then it loses to "Can You Feel the Love Tonight" by Can <laughs> You Feel <laughs> the Love Tonight, Lion King. And vagabonds. So it loses to that, but that is to say, it should be noted that it was it got a Golden Globe nomination for song, and um, and I will say, given all the, the which plays over the, the credits, over the dramatic aspect of what we're talking about in terms of the ending of this movie, 
It does end on a joke. It does end after the credits go. You well, hear, even yeah, like as the even just before you hear that Ruben Blades is like yelling, "Somebody up. get me out of here!" Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to tie this. I was going to tie this fucking couch. <laughs> and then then it freezes, and then there's like the best that you can be all the time when you were stuck with Wizard in New York City. Then after, and then it stops, and then you hear there's a couple more like. Um, Foley lines by Ruben Blades, like, I'm still here, you sons of bitches. <laughs> you might on. Come on. And then it ends. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, yeah. So, um, this was, this was, this was exciting. Oh, you know what? I had one other question for you. Do you think that, you know, the, the, the little object that's on the table with the, oh, the, with the four. Yeah. Do you think that's CGI or think that's just an actual effect? I think that's an actual. Cause, thing. yeah, cause you can never see the, the camera. And I guess it's just cause it's looking, it's not a mirror, it's looking through, but it's just. Yeah. There's, it's There's how like it's this done. little thing where it's like a curved glass with nine know, like little statue or something that you can see through. So it's got like nine quadrants of different Brady bunch style. Yeah, and then you could see it. it yeah, so it just it does uh, interesting effects and stuff. Um, hey, I wonder if that's. I guess maybe that's supposed to. In, maybe that's supposed to be some kind of like. Multiple personality. Yeah, oh, that's true. I mean, true. there's a lot of stuff yeah, that, different, you can, yeah, you that you it, can read into it. You know, this. I mean, it, 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 I think the f- the f- the thing that this movie doesn't have going for it that it's so heaped in the '90s. I mean, even they're driving like a what is it, a Geo Tracker at one point, which is such a '90s like cheap <laughs> car. You know, the, even the color. You yeah, know, and yeah. then the the soundtrack and stuff. But uh, you know, even how Bruce Willis looks. You know, he's wearing the the jeans high with no belt on, tucked <laughs> in with the big baggy. I mean, I still I still do that now. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of, which is now coming back into style, funny enough. So it's like, but at the end of the day, it is a thriller. It is an erotic thriller. It is, it is a, erotic. It is erotic. It's a thriller. It's a, it's a, um, but it is kind of a giallo movie in a, in a certain yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you could make, certainly make an argument that it's like, um, it's an American giallo. <clears throat> yeah. Sure. So, um, I think this is probably something that would be really good if we and had if you other, don't know what we're talking about of a giallo, go check out. Um, deep red. Yeah, we talk about giallo in, d- in depth about, it. and then I think we even did. Did we do a giallo? We probably talked about giallo on also like a sidecast in Halloween maybe. three. Maybe I don't remember, but we do. We t- we t- we set the genre up, and um, we do. I think our first sidecast when we were in L.A., we talk about giallo stuff back on the Podwood site, but we, we recap it, it and we do it all properly. We talk about it in deep red. The, yeah. the Argento movie. So this was fun, and it, it was down. It was trip down doing the, the erotica, which was a per, uh, an important step for I guess boys and maybe girls too, but certainly in the and then of the '90s era of our generation, of these kind of movies coming out. Um, yeah, it's certainly an interesting time for mainstream cinema. Yeah, because um, it's something you won't get again. It's like lightning in a bottle. You don't <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of. And like I said, to me personally, this seems very tame nowadays. Like when she's walking around, like with the. You know, he comes home and she's like making him dinner. He's like, "What are you doing here?" And she's like, "I'm making you dinner." And she turns around, she's only wearing like the, the uh, apron, the apron, and that's it. You see her little bunch. She's like, "What's wrong? You you like what you see?" <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> you want a little backdoor access? It's like that's all. It's like, oh, it's just her little fanny now, as opposed to like nowadays that you know, it's so we're so desensitized. Yeah, yeah. that's like ABC. Like coming up on Disney tonight, <laughs> we're gonna show you <laughs> the Disney yeah. Sunday Night movie. It's gonna be uh, you know, what's what's the movie? The kid. <laughs> Bruce Willis is the kid, and then for the for the you know for the parents, Marlon Landau starring Color of Night. <laughs> Where's Bobby Lupo? So that's all. So it was fun. Yeah, it's good. Color of Night. You Color of Night. You so, but your final thoughts on this um, is that it sh- it shouldn't get the bad press or the such the negative. You know, uh, it's that I, it is it is 
I think this could be one of the most polarizing movies we've done in the idea in of recent it years because <laughs> it is so. Yeah, I'm like, I, like I said, I get, I understand why people would l- watch this and think it's funny or, you know, quote unquote, so bad it's good. But I think like if you, if as a viewer you can give yourself to it and just embrace it for what it is, I think you find, I think you might just find that it's, it's an enjoyable watch. You yeah, know? And, and 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 not necessarily totally in a comedic way. Although there are certain things, like we were saying, the rattlesnake. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the mailbox. <laughs> Which is it's it's not played for laughs, but it can be I know, but it's it. a little bit. Or the, funny. you saying the the rack focus and the guy <laughs> earning his keep. Yeah, so, yeah. but yeah, so that's 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 it for tonight's episode. Uh, check us out on uh, Facebook. Would make a great double feature with Lord of Illusion. Yeah, Lord, you love Lord. I don't think I think that's hard to get now. I don't. Be. I don't think it's available. Although I feel like Scream Factory might have put out like a souped-up edition. Did they? For a while, but I because felt like I, it was I, I have previous editions, I'm trying not to double dip. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, um, but check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on uh, our homepage, uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. Check us out. We are on Instagram. Uh, Blake, you've got stuff scored to death. The podcast. Yep. Available everywhere podcasts are listened to. <laughs> yeah, and that's off a book he's done as well. Uh, you can get that as well. Uh, and uh, what? check us out, uh, f- like our stuff, retweet it, share it, write a review. If you can, rate, review us on iTunes. That would be helpful. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another crazy site, which actually has... A, c- a couple connections. A couple of connections to the night. Yeah, I don't know if you can make the, make the leap, but we can. <laughs> and it's not Martin Landau or Bobby Lupo. <laughs> but we'll be back in two weeks, and it's and it's a classic. It's it, You know what? We, we will tease it by, I guess, saying it is a fan request. Yeah, like we've had requests, especially recently. Yeah, of this. and, and we, for, we, for next week's, next two weeks, for the next episode. Yeah, so we said we pulled an audible. We had something planned, and we took it out of the breach, and we put this so one in. So you know what? Yeah. For you. Yeah. So, all right. See you in two weeks. Later.